Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And we have a massive UFC event this weekend, UFC 298, going down this Saturday in Anaheim, California. I believe it is Anaheim, California, if I can confirm to deny that. I second-guess myself sometimes. But yes, Anaheim, California. Um, actually, fun fact, I mean, we're going to be talking about UFC news in a second, but the UFC and the WWE both just signed something with the state of California for the WWE and UFC to each hold a minimum of three events in um, Anaheim every single year. Not just the state of California, but Anaheim specifically. So very interesting, the market in Anaheim, how big it is growing. All I really know is that they have the Ducks for the NHL. We're going to be talking about the NHL standings here in a bit too, by the way. But yeah, I just thought that was an interesting note while it was on my brain. But I hope everyone had an amazing weekend. I'm a week. I mean, I'm looking forward to the weekend. That's why I'm all amped up right now recording this. And I'm absolutely pumped because we are going to be previewing the entire UFC 298 card headlined by Alexander the Great Volkanovsky taking on Ia Topura, undefeated 14-0 Spaniard. Man, I'm super pumped for that fight. Also on the main card, you got Robert Whitaker, Paulo Costa, Jeff Neal, Ian Gary, Rob Dwevishelli, and Henry Cejudo. And don't forget about the sneaky fight between Roman Kopilov and Anthony Fluffy Hernandez and the prelims, too. I'm so excited to cover all that to main event uh, this episode of the Spresha Podcast. Episode number 66. That's crazy. I feel like we just recorded episode 50. This is a rolling by. I've been so busy with school. You know, I've been so busy with uh, just school pretty much. And uh, actually, I'm uh, my internship hunt. I am doing pretty good in that. We know we're doing pretty good in the internship hunt. But um, I haven't really had time to get any guests on. You know, my buddies I could do this with, uh, it would have to be on the weekends. And, you know, we're always busy on the weekends. So it's still a struggle for that. And I haven't really asked anyone random to come on just because I don't really have like a formal setup. I could always do like the stream yard thing that I do when we've had Dane on the podcast. But we'll, we'll see how that goes in the future. And as for recording, there's just nowhere in my current apartment for me to record well where I can get the audio well and where I can actually have like a cool setup. So I'll continue to try and theorize where I can put stuff out. But as for now, not going to be doing that. Also on today's uh, episode, besides UFC 298, we're going to be talking about a bunch of new fights that have been announced. Some UFC 300 rumors, the 48 Laws of Power. We got two new laws to bring to you today. Checking in with our NBA and NHL leagues. And the surprise topic for today is I will be ranking my top 10 favorite holidays my favorite holidays and these are all nationally recognized which means sadly we don't get like national hot dog national pizza national kiss your best friend on lips just joking would never do that winky face no i'm just joking i don't swing that way but let's swing into this episode so kicking us off let's check out some new ufc news because we've had not a ton of new ufc news but i mean a, a decent amount for us uh hardcore if you will just non-casual fans to follow stuff. So, interesting enough, Henry Cejudo, who fights this weekend, former flyweight and bantamweight men's champion, uh, announced that if he loses to Marab Dovashelli this weekend, he will retire from the UFC, which I find this very fascinating. Henry Cejudo is ranked number three at men's bantamweight, and he was supposed to, um, I don't know who he was supposed to fight at UFC 292. I think it might have been Marab. I think he was going to, he had a fight booked with someone 
Uh, I can't recall who it was. It was Pyotr Jan, maybe. I think Henry Sudo had a fight booked with Pyotr Jan. But, uh, of course, he returned last year in May when he took on Aljamain Sterling for the Bantamweight Championship and lost by split decision. And that was after a three-year hiatus. So, Henry Cejudo, if he beats Marab, he'll probably get a title shot. If he loses, he will be done in the UFC. So, his little short return, just about as quick as McGregor's returns, usually are very, very fascinating. Very fascinating, if you ask me. Um, speaking of uh, UFC 300, UFC 298, it was announced that Dana White, or I shouldn't say announced, but it's it's rumored right now, pretty much just about official, that Dana White will be announcing the UFC 300 main event and also another fight they're adding to the card at the post-conference or the post-press conference after the event of UFC 298. So right after the winner's hand is held up for the featherweight championship, we'll head backstage, we'll see what's up, and Dana will announce what the UFC 300 main event is. My money right now, I mean, if I was a betting man, I'd probably say Israel Asanya, Driscus Duplessis. I'd probably say that. Alexander Volkanovsky threw out there that he would step in if needed to, which I found absolutely hilarious. But let's say he goes out there and starches Iotopira, knocks him out with one punch in round one, takes like no damage. He technically could main event UFC 300, but the issue is there's no one for Volk to fight. There's absolutely no one for Volk to fight. And I saw it was a fun theory, like, oh, who would he fight? But the only person he could end up fighting would be... Oh, gosh, I, the winner of Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega, and we'll, we'll find that out next weekend at UFC Mexico City. Mosvar Evlov on short notice. I mean, it's just, it's not possible, but it is fun to theorize. So, fortunately, that will not be happening, but it's a, you know what, Volk, it, we appreciate your energy when it comes to hyping us up for fights. Um, speaking of new fights, we've had a bunch of new fights, a bunch of new fights that have been announced, one of which uh, was announced today for UFC, um, sorry, UFC Atlantic City, yes, going down March 30th. Um, by the way, the main event was supposed to be Vicente Luque and Sean Brady. That fight fell apart. Instead, top three women's flyweight matchup between Man of Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield, who are both on incredible win streaks, they'll be fighting for a title shot in the main event five rounds. And for once, for once, not to sound sexist, you know, not to sound like that guy, but I'm actually excited for a women's main event. Man of Fiora, French fire, absolutely brings it every fight, coming off a huge win over Rose Namajunas. And Aaron Blanchfield, a young gun, rising up the ranks, also on a win streak, coming off the biggest win of her career over, I believe it was Talia Santos and Jessica Andrade actually last year. So she had a very good 2023. I'm actually very excited for this fight. I like both of the ladies, so it'll actually be unfortunate that I will have to choose between them. But in regards to Vicente Luque and new fights that have been announced, Vicente Luque, who, by the way, Vicente Luque, if no one knows, is ranked number, is it 10? No, number 9 at men's welterweight. As And for Vicente, he was supposed to take on number 6 ranked Sean Brady. Sean Brady got injured. So stepping up on short notice will be Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley, new Mansa, that's his nickname or his Instagram handle, I believe. Of uh, Very popular for his viral KO he got at UFC 254, I believe it was, back in 2020 when he hit that splying, spinning like flying kick on Impa Consagna. Of course, Impa caught his foot and then he spun around, gave him a little ninja kick. 
But I mean, I'm super, super pumped for that fight. Vicente Luque coming off a big win over Rafael Dos Anjos after taking a year off, and that was back in August he got that win. And it was a gritty win. You know, I'm not going to say it was a beautiful, it wasn't really a beautiful win. But nonetheless, he impressed me. He impressed me very much so. And as for Joaquin Buckley, I mean, this guy is just pure entertainment every time he gets in the octagon. Coming off of an October win over Alex Morono, where it was a very close fight between the two. But this guy has had knockouts over Andre Filo with head kicks. He's uh, had doctor stoppages against Albert Durov. Uh, knocked out Antonio Rojo, Jordan Wright, of course, in Bucansagana. And, you know, a majority of his losses are to tough competition. His, his debut, he had to fight Kevin Holland, end up getting knocked out in round three, but showed how gritty it was. And so 2022, unfortunately, had to fight Nazardine Imovov, but looked way better against Nazardine than Roman Dolodize did. And the last time he was finished was against Chris Curtis in December of 2022, but went 2-0 in 2023, and he gets his shot. You know, he fluctuates between middleweight and welterweight, and I'm, I'm very happy, very happy that we're going to get to see the abilities of Joaquin Buckley at this high level because, I mean, we've seen him, of course, take on Chris Curtis, Nazardine, Kevin Holland, but Vicente Luque is really a guy who was on the verge of a title shot before losing to Bilal Muhammad. We all have my thoughts about how that happened, honestly. I still cannot believe that uh, Bilal Muhammad is where he's at today. And there's that's also another rumor for UFC 300 that Bilal Muhammad could end up finding Leon Edwards in the main event. That would be hilarious. I actually wouldn't even be mad because it would be such a troll on all the fans, especially us hardcores who follow the sport in Devlin. Also announced, Austin Hubbard will be taking on Michael Figlack. Um, I don't know exactly when that fight's going down. I, for my fighter notes, I happen to miss when these fights are going down. Let me pull it up. UFC Vegas, um, something at the Apex, April 27th. Uh, that fight will be going down. Austin Hubbard was the runner-up on the this past season of The Ultimate Fighter. Unfortunately, he is on a little two-fight losing streak. You know, he lost to Kurt Holobow at UFC 292 to lose The Ultimate Fighter. And Hubbard's, Hubbard's been in the UFC before, but he was cut, came back in The Ultimate Fighter, you know. Very, very, very interesting. And as for Michael Figlak, you know, he was undefeated 8-0, lost his debut against Fairzayam in uh, in France back in September. So must win for both guys. The loser will probably be cut, not to be too drastic. Also, another interesting fight announced in our uh, for that April 27th event, which is rumored to be at the UFC Apex, as Dontel Lord Kong Mays will be taking on Kayo Bigfoot Machado. Dontel Mays, one of the notable unranked heavyweights. Of course, unranked heavyweights are known to be sloppy and just nowhere near the top level. I mean, this guy has fought in a number of people. He's lost to Cyril Gaon, lost to Rodrigo Nascimento, knocked out Josh Parshin, knocked out Andre Arlovsky. He's uh, lost to Augusto Sakai. He's actually lost twice to Rodrigo Nascimento. That's pretty funny. Um, but Dante May is a big boy, big boy indeed. And that's for Kyle Machado, who will be taking on. He won on this past season of the Dan White's Contender Series, but lost his debut to Mick Parkin at UFC Vegas 82 back in November. You know, he got out grappled in that fight, which was really the key difference. So I'll be interested to see how Kyle Machado rebounds. For, for a majority of these fights, I'm favoring Vicente Luque, probably Michael Figlak, and I'm going to say Kyle Machado for this one. Last new fight, actually we have two new fights that have been announced, but one of them, Edmund Shabazian will be taking on A.J. Dobson on uh, at UFC Vegas 89, March 23rd. Edmund Shabazian was supposed to take on Dusko Todorovic, instead A.J. Dobson will be stepping in on short notice. Edmund Shabazian, this guy was being pushed to the top. He at one point was undefeated 
undefeated 11-0 before he had a main event against Derek Brunson and got finished after gassing out in round one. Following that, he lost to Jack Hermanson in 2021, gassed out to round one. Same thing happened against Nazardine Imovov. He then did beat Dolce Luciambula in December of 2022, but in his lone fight last year, gassed out again against Anthony Hernandez and got finished in round number three. Edmund Shabazian really needs to work on his gas tank, gas tank, his gas tank, his energy going into any round besides past round one. Uh, so, you know, he's one in four his last five fights after starting his career 11 and 0. So this is a must win for him if he wants to stay in the UFC. As for A.J. Dobson stepping in on short notice, A.J. was on Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series, and after debuting in 2022, did lose two fights to Jacob Malkoon and Armin Petrosian, both untalented, unranked middleweights. But he did pick up his first win over Tafan Inchukani back in August of 2023. That was actually the same card. Vicente Luque beat Rafael Dos Anjos. Um, so AJ, stepping in. Happy to see it. But I've I've rode with Edmund Shabazian in every single one of his fights. It won't stop now. I will ride with the golden boy until his train comes to an end. But I, I hope he wins. I really hope he wins because he has a lot of potential. And the last new fight that's been announced, which I just find absolutely insane, Umar Nurmagomedov, that is right, the great Umar Nurmagomedov, cousin of Khabib, who is currently ranked number 13 at men's bantamweight, who is currently 16-0, 4-0 in the UFC with three finishes, has to fight Belzat Almakan at UFC Vegas 87 on March 2nd. Belzat is 17-1 from Kazakhstan and uh, is on a ridiculous win streak, number of finishes. And that's because no one will fight Umar Namagmedov. Like, his uh, his agent, Ali Albazaz, whatever, was basically telling everyone, like, no, one, no top contender, no one above Umar will accept a fight. The only person they could get was this unranked guy from Kazakhstan make his UFC debut. Umar does not get any easy fights fights we'll be riding with him though umar love ya it's a shame that no one wants to fight ya also in the news for the ufc they cut four fighters in the last few days and honestly i'm not mad about any single one of the cuts first one abu bakar nurmagomedov is 17 4 but went two and two in the ufc um, he's on a, you know, he's on a one fight losing streak where uh, he slapped his opponent after the bell. Very embarrassing. Definitely why they cut him. His wins were against Jared Gooden and Godzi Omar Gaziev, who aren't even in the UFC. They were both decisions. Yeah, get rid of this guy. We don't tolerate that. Also cut Devin Clark, who just lost to Marcin Pacinio, 8-9 in the UFC. Not very good. He's on a two fight losing streak. He's 2-5 in his last seven. Biggest wins will be over Alonzo Menafield and Da Eun Jung. Hate to see you go, Devin Clark, but you did get a main event against Anthony Smith in 2020. You cannot let that go unnoticed. Also cut Stephanie Edgar, woman's bantamweight on two-fight losing streak. She, she actually holds wins over Alan Perez, Jessica Rose Clark, who she finished both of them with an arm bar, but you know what? Lost both of her last two fights, three and four in the UFC. Hate to see you go, but you got to go. And as quick as he was here, as quick as he'll be gone, one in three in the UFC, Zach Palga, who was just knocked out by uh, Bogdan Guskov. Uh, you know, six and three professionally, all three of those losses in the UFC. He was the runner-up on uh, the 30th season of the Ultimate Fighter, but just did nothing. Just, just continued to get knocked out, and yeah, gl glad to see Zach Palga getting out of here. My goodness. But you know what? You know what? I wish him best of luck. He changed his nickname from something to the high chief because he became like a chief in the Samoan community. 
you know, I'm sure it's very inspirational to the kids when you're getting knocked out cold in the UFC. And I haven't just TKO'd, knocked out fully. Very unfortunate. And our last bit of UFC news comes from a man fighting this weekend, the ever-controversial uh, Ian Gary. And Gary, of course, from Ireland, the 26-year-old, is currently ranked number 10 at men's welterweight, taking on number 8-ranked Jeff Neal. Bad blood in the water there. He um, basically laid out his plans for 2024. He plans to knock out Jeff Neal. Call out Colby Covington, fight Colby Covington in the summer, and then after finishing Colby Coven, take on either Kamaru Usman, Blah Muhammad, Shafkar Akhmaf, or Gilbert Burns, who's ever ranked number one or two at men's welterweight, and in the start of 2025, in the first three months, fight for the welterweight championship. I mean, the cockiness on this guy is off the charts. He said he's too big of a star if he wins his fight this weekend for him to go to Ireland anymore. He'll have to live in the United States because he'll be too big of a star. Uh, he criticizes people for saying that his wife's like a pedophile, that his wife's a slut. And by the way, his wife wrote a book on how to marry younger sports athletes. His wife is 40 Ian Gary's 26, as I mentioned. And by the way, his name is Ian Machado Gary. That Machado is actually his her wife's ex-husband's last name, which she kept and she forced Ian to take. It is a very weird scenario. She's been pulling the strings behind behind the curtain, if you know what I'm saying. I don't know. I you know, I'm not really a fan of Ian Gary, but he's just so cocky. I just feel like he's gonna get knocked out by Jeff Neal. But at the same time, I've seen what happens to Jeff Neal against top dogs, against up-and-comers. So we'll have to see later on this episode who I pick. But just to let you know, Ian Gary being very cocky ahead of this big fight. To, no, not tomorrow. Today's Thursday. Going down Saturday, uh, February 17th. Yes, I know my dates and times. Bum, 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 bum. So now that we've gone over all the new UFC news and stuff building up to UFC 298, let's check in with some other sports leagues, such as the NBA and NHL. Of course, we always do our little check-ins every other week, usually on our Thursday episode. And as we journey to the NBA, nothing's changed. In fact, the Celtics in the Eastern Conference are not only the best team in the East by six games, but they're the best team in the league by five games. I mean, the Celtics play an excellent ball this um this season. Jason Tatum, amazing. Jalen Brown, amazing. Hal Horford, amazing. I mean, this team is very, very talented. 43-12. and 12. They are 30-6 and six in their conference, 26-3 and three at home, 8-2 and two their last 10 on a six-game win streak. Now, the only issue is that favorites like this, I don't really know how they do in the playoffs. I feel like they'll easily make it past the first round, second round struggle, usually get out in the Eastern Conference. But this team has been improving year in and year out. They've been looking to become the NBA champions. I've been contenders. They've been contenders. I would also compare the Celtics to the Bills of the NFL, except that the Celtics actually do better in the regular season than the Bills. But still the top dog. Also, rise in the ranks, the Cavaliers, 36-17, and 9-1 their last 10. And um, are now the number two team in the Eastern Conference. Very happy for them. They've gone 17 and 8 on the road. Very uh, critical to their success. Bucks are in third, and Knicks are in fourth, both on losing streaks. Same with the 76ers in fifth. The Miami Heat, 30 and 25. They're on a two game winning streak. At the bottom of the pack, the Detroit Pistons, 8 and 46 on a three game losing streak. And the Wizards, who are about to get passed. That's right, the Washington Wizards are about to get passed by the Pistons for worst team, as the Wizards are 9 and 45 on an eight 
eight-game losing streak, and it was rumored that Kyle Kuzma was offered the uh, chance to be traded to all. Oh, some other Kyle Kuzma was going to be traded, I believe, to the Mavericks, like to a contender, and he said, "No, I want to build something here in Washington." Well, Kyle, you are building yourself to the worst team in the league, and I don't even know who the top prospect is next year. I, I don't even know. Hornets, though, they were at one point in the single-digit uh, win column, but now are 13-41. Well, three-game win streak. LaMelo Ball, do your thing. Bunch of other teams, middle of the pack, going on some losing streaks. I'd say the biggest story in the East right now is how good the Celtics are doing and the constant shift between the Cavs, Bucks, Knicks, 76ers. I mean, just fluctuating between who's doing the best. But it's looking like the Celtics are going to become the best team in the East and the best team in the NBA this season. But a lot could happen before the uh, All-Star break. Moving over to my conference that I like to keep up with, the Western Conference, as my Minnesota Timberwolves are back on top. That's what I'm talking about, boys. So I'm talking about Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns doing their thing. Um, Timberwolves are 38 and 16, 7 and 3 their last 10 on a little three-game win streak. By the way, season ticket holders 19 and 5 record, 19 and 5 record. That's pretty good. Thunder are in second, 37 and 17. Clippers in third, 36 and 17. Nuggets in fourth. 36 and 19. So all close behind. It's a little bit of a kind of a race between those four teams for who's who's at the top of the Timberwolves. Been doing amazing. I mean, even if the Timberwolves don't finish as the number one team, we're going to make the playoffs as a one through five without a doubt. So I'm absolutely pumped to see how good they are this year. And I might actually watch the playoffs. I usually don't even watch the NBA playoffs. I might turn in because the Timberwolves are doing so good. Love to see it. Of course, the Thunder I mentioned, they're 37 and 17, 6 and 4, their last 10, all a little two game win streak. Clippers, 36 and 17, they're coming off a win the other night. Nuggets are on a three game losing streak, though, 36 and 19, we're at one point almost the top team. Nikola Jokic, I don't know what's going on with you. Did they become champions last year? I think they did. I honestly can't remember. Suns on a little two game win streak are in fifth. Pelicans are in six on three game win streak, and the Mavericks, 32 and 23, six game win streak, seven and three their last 10. They've been battling. Luka and Kyrie, they've been trying to do their thing, get the Mavs back into this. And it's a shame because Luka is probably in the MVP race between him, Nikola Jokic, and Shai Gilgis Alexander. So I, I'm just torn on what to do with this Mavericks team. You know, I just don't know what to do. You're not winning games sometimes, but, you know, you're on a little win streak now. Use this momentum. Keep it a-going. Lakers, three-game win streak, are in ninth, 30-26. And, and the Warriors, their fall-off, unfortunate. Not as, not even as happy as, you know, when the whenever the Chiefs have their fall-off in the NFL, everyone will be happy. The Warriors, everyone's just kind of like, okay, it's over, is what it is. They're 26-26, and 10th in the West, coming off of a loss. Nothing too special. Spurs, 11-44, still the worst team in the Western Conference, despite having Victor Wembenyama. Trailblazers, 15-38 on a five-game losing streak. They're all so bad. Grizzlies, 19-36. They're 1-9 their last 10. Oh, oh, that's really bad. Wow, I did not realize how bad the Grizzlies had been playing. But basically, the main story of the NBA as it goes along. Celtics are the top team. Timberwolves and Thunder. You know, Thunder are young guns. Someone compared the Thunder to the greatest AAU team of all time. You know, they're all so young. There's so many young guys on that team. Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, you got Shea. You, you got so many killers on that team. But as for Timberwolves, it's a mix. A lot of young guys. Anthony Edwards has become a young leader. Carl uh, Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert are so experienced bigs. They really know what roles to fill in the team. And we just got Monte Morris in a trade. So we'll see how that impacts. But as the season rolls on, the Timberwolves still at top. 
still on the top of the West for now. For now. Checking in with the NHL, which I don't know too much about. So if I say any NHL knowledge that's wrong, you know, correct me. But uh, the number two team in the league and the number one team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Bruins, with a 32 and 11 and 10 record. They got 74 points. Of course, you get points uh, two points for a win, one point for an overtime loss in the NHL, and your points are based on where you kind of stand in the rankings. Because the Panthers are 34, 15, and 4. Despite having two more wins, they don't have as many overtime losses. They have more regular losses than the Bruins. But both teams playing pretty good. Um, Senators, 22 and 25. They were at the bottom. They're on a four-game win streak. Uh, worst team in the Eastern Conference is the Blue Jackets, who are 16, 26, and 10. They only have 42 points. New York Rangers, 34, 16, and 3. They got 71 points on a five-game win streak. That's doing pretty good. Pretty good. Flyers on four-game win streak. Devils on a two-game win streak. Uh, biggest losing streak in the Eastern Conference belongs to the Penguins, who are now down to the bottom of the pack. But we're starting to reach that point where if you don't have 70 points, you're not a top guy in the NHL. In the Western Conference, the best team in the league is the Canucks, 78 points. 78 points. They have a whole 10 more points in their division uh, to win their division over the Golden Knights, who have 68 Bottom of the pack, worst team in the league, though, is the Chicago Blackhawks. Seven-game losing streak, 14-36-3, only 31 points to show. I mean, it has been atrocious. And I remember the days of the early 2000s with how good the Blackhawks were. You had Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane. Your team was killers. You won Stanley Cups. You won in the final seconds. Used to be so hype, but... No more. Those days are over. You know, Carbadard, he'll be back next season. But as for as for now, I mean, who knows what is going to happen with this franchise? My Minnesota Wild, the only team I actually care about. They're on a four-game win streak. You know, they are third from the bottom in their division. Uh, so they got 55 points. So they are better than one, two, three, four, five, six. They're better than six other teams in their Western Conference. Uh, stars at the top of their central division, you know, not, nothing too much. Coyotes also on a seven-game losing streak. They've been a struggling. Don't know too much about the NHL. Well, I'll tell you, the top three teams are the Vancouver Canucks, which, I mean, so I think it was Cole Walker who we had on, who he said they were going to be good. Uh, the Dallas Stars with 72 points. Boston Bruins with 74 uh, Florida Panthers with 72, and the New York Rangers with 71 points. Very fun stuff checking in with our leagues. I could probably go more in-depth with the NBA personally, but I like to check in with the NHL so we know what's going on in all of the sports world. Also, what we like to know is going on in the world is how how do you obtain power, Zachary? Oh, oh, I don't know. Wouldn't it be helpful if we had a book on how to get power? Oh, yeah, we do. The 48 Laws of Power, of course, as we all know. We have been reading that over the last month or so, and I share the laws that I've read here on the podcast. I won't lie, guys. I missed a day. I didn't read one day, so we only have two laws to share with you. Laws number 33 and 34. I know I was lacking... I was lacking this week. I was busy, though. You know, I tried to get all my homework done before Friday. I ended up getting it all done between Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I, was, I really crammed for no no reason because I didn't do too much today. Um, but, man, let me just let me just tell you, this book is super good. It's certainly something you read before bed. You kind of go to bed like, dang, like, 
wow, this, this is such an in interesting law. I don't know what to do with this information now that I have it. But um, without doubt, let's get right on into it because I've been trying not to make these episodes too long. And certainly without on any NFL news to talk about, they're going to get shorter. And when we don't even have a UFC event, but luckily we have UFC for like the next two months straight. But whenever we don't have UFC and no NFL, we haven't really ran into that situation yet. I mean, I also have to come up with a bunch of random stuff for an episode because I like to bring two episodes every week. Let's stop rambling. Law number 33, discover each man's thumbscrew. Discover each man's thumbscrew. Here's the judgment. Everyone has a weakness, a gap in the castle wall. That weakness is usually an insecurity, an uncontrollable emotion or need. It can also be a small secret pleasure. Either way, once found, it is a thumbscrew you can turn to your advantage. So basically, everyone has a certain weakness. Everyone has a certain weakness that gets them irritated, that forces them to react. I gave you a perfect example. I will name no names, but I do know some hothead people where, you know, they'll be insulting you and you throw one insult back and it literally flips their whole demeanor. They're suddenly all pissed at you. A thumbscrew like that or even something to sort of entice people. Like, I, I don't know what politician it was. I don't want to say Donald Trump because I don't feel... I mean, Joe Biden, he likes ice cream. Doesn't Joe Biden like ice cream? So, I mean, you could probably... You know, if you're going to meet him with something, you bring ice cream to him. That's a little secret pleasure. He might be war more warm to, like, a policy you'd offer to him. That's a terrible example because clearly Joe Biden does not run the country, not to get political, but you know what I'm saying. But for the thumbscrew, there is a certain way to find it. There is a strategic plan of action. And there's a number of steps. There's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, six steps to finding every person's thumbscrew. We all have resistances. We live with a perpetual armor around ourselves to defend against change and the intrusive actions of friends and rivals. It's true. You know, us humans, we don't naturally like change. We'll adapt to it. You know, I can speak for that firsthand. And intrusive things that friends and family do can kind of annoy us because, you know, you know, your family you're stuck with, your friends you end up choosing, but even them who you like, you know, that you can become annoyed with things they do. We would like nothing more than to be left to do things on our own at times. Constantly biting up against these res resistances will cost you a lot of energy. One of the most important things to realize about people, though, is that they all have a weakness. Some part of their psychological armor that will not resist, that will bend to your will if you find it and push on it. Some people wear their weaknesses openly, others disguise them. Those who disguise them are often the ones most effectively undone through that one chink at their armor. In playing your assault, keep these principles in mind. So let's go over these principles. So if you ever need to get to someone, you can learn how to find their thumbscrew. First off, pay attention to gestures and unconscious signals. This should be very easy. It's not easy to do, you know, and not everyone's the same. Um, if you suspect that someone has a particular soft spot, probe for it indirectly. You know, the key is not only what you look for, but where and how you look, such as someone tapping their fingers, such as where they lick their lips, you know, they bat their eyes a lot, they look around, you know, they seem impatient, um, sort of stuff like that. Um, a clever trick used by the 19th century French statesman Talleyrand is to appear open to the other person to share a secret with them. It can be a completely made up one or it can be real, but of no great importance to you. The important thing is that you should seem, it should seem to come from the heart. Now this is super devious, but you have to think of using it for, for something good. You know, don't use it for evil. Don't use it to manipulate someone, you know, cause I mean, I honestly, I'm a bad liar, so I can never really do that. Of course, Talleyrand was the man linked to Napoleon. He actually 
um, had Napoleon free himself after getting him exiled and then basically joined back up with him and then had Napoleon oust his own self somehow. Talleyrand was a master of the game of power. But to do to do this, to open up to someone with a secret, I mean, it's just how you get information on someone. You know, I know for a fact if someone's sharing a secret with me, it's not just that, that I feel inclined to tell them a secret of my own, but it's that I feel comfortable with them. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can open up to you too since you just opened up to me or I can be a bit more gentle with you. So, you know, always try and say something, but never tell an actual deep, dark secret, especially to a stranger, someone you're trying to like obtain power from because then they have leverage over you and they could be playing the game against you. Second step in finding the thumbscrew is find the helpless child. That's right, find a single helpless child. No, that is of course a metaphor. Most weaknesses begin in childhood before the self builds up con com compensatory defenses. Wow, compensatory, if I can even do my grammar. Perhaps the child was pampered or indulged in a particular area, or perhaps a certain emotional need went unfulfilled. As he or she grows older, the indulgence or the deficiency may be buried but never disappears. Knowing about a childhood need gives you a powerful key to a person's weakness. I absolutely love this because I'm a firm believer that people act a certain way they do. They have a certain insecurity. They have a certain reason they act a certain way because of something that happened in child. Take me, for example. I really had no trauma going up. I had a pretty... You know, not to flaunt, I had an amazing child, amazing life so far. So, you know, I kinda, I've kind of been blessed with, you know, I've seen sadness, I've seen anger, I've seen a majority happiness. You know, I never really lacked in getting any emotion to me. Now, a perfect example of this would be what people refer to, you know, not to offend women, but, you know, having mommy issues or daddy issues. I mean, it goes for men, too. But, you know, I've certainly talked to girls who have mommy issues and daddy issues, and you can see they, they certainly lack in a certain department, you know, Girls with daddy issues, you know, they're they're looking for an assertive man. Girls with mommy issues, they kind of just want to boss around a guy because they only have their dad around. You know, it's kind of an interesting aspect when you look at it. And I honestly point it out to people who actually experience, like, trauma, like I'd say, like, abuse, is that you can kind of tell that that, like, kept in secret affects them in ways. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's sharing it's the best way. I just feel like if you keep something in too long, you know, it can kind of eat you alive from the inside, you know, something like that. Uh, by sharing it, it can be good. But as for the game of power, you know, you have to find that weakness from the childhood and use it to your favor. Number three is look for constructs. Contrasts, contrasts, contrasts. An overt trait often conceals its opposite. People who thump their chests are often big cowards. That can be very true. Um, a prudish exterior may hide a la less a vicious soul. The uptight are often screaming for adventure. Yes, the shy are dying for attention. Also true. By probing beyond appearances, you will often find people's weaknesses in the opposite of the qualities they reveal to you. I'll say this can certainly be true. I mean, I know whenever I've gone through a sad period, you know, I'm out in public, I'm acting all happy, but then you come back and you're all sad. Or, you know, if you're not talking in a social setting, you secretly want people to talk to you. But even when they may, like, ask you, like, oh, hey, is everything okay? Just there's something when people ask you, hey, is everything okay? You feel inclined to say all's good because you don't want to burden them with having to discuss things. But, you know, if you're looking to uh, find the constraints of uh, the contrast, the contrast is the word. Look for contrast. You know, look for that trait, not constraints. Too, too many close words in this book, I swear. Uh, step number four, find the weak link. Sometimes in your search for weakness is not what but who that matters. In today's versions of the court, there is often someone behind the scenes who has a great deal of power, tremendous influence over the person superficially on top. Think of Joe Biden. For example, he doesn't do anything for the country. It's his cabinet and the superiors above him that just use him to 
you know, basically be their little mascot. You know, they just kind of throw him out there, and it's like, oh, he's making the laws? No, not at all. Yeah, perfect example. Um, by winning the favor of this weak link in the group, uh, you can indirectly flu- influence the king, you know? So take, uh, oh my gosh, it was President Nixon's freaking Secretary of State. We might get his name later on. I'm trying to remember. Henry Kissinger, that's his name. Henry Kissinger was a master at this. Is He was the one that influenced President Nixon. So if you got to Kissinger, you could get to President Nixon. Sort of stuff like that. Step number five is fill the void. The two main emotional voids to fill are insecurity and unhappiness. The insecure are suckers for any kind of social validation. Oh my gosh, that cannot be more true. The, like the pick me girls, be like, oh, I don't think I look good. Or like, oh, like, oh my gosh, no one talks to me. Like they're just begging for validation. Um, as for the chronically unhappy, look for the roots of their unhappiness. The insecure and unhappy are the people least able to disguise their weaknesses. The ability to fill their emotional voids is a great source of power and an indefinable, prolongable one. Yeah, I don't really get people who are always unhappy. You know, but if you can find out what makes someone happy, you can learn to kind of manipulate that and get them to do things for you. How fascinating. And the final step to finding the man's corkscrew is feed on uncontrollable emotions. The uncontrollable emotion can be a paranoid fear, a fear disproportionate to the situation, that is, or any base motive such as, you know, lust, greed, vanity, or even hatred. People in the grip of these emotions often cannot control themselves, and you can do the controlling for them. That's such a such an excellent point. You just have to think that when people are, when you're lusting over someone, you know, when you're in that state, you're not really, you you know, you're not really locked in. And it's easy to get to people. I know a lot of women do that, a lot of gold diggers, if you know what I'm saying. As for greed, I mean, think about people who are gambling, who are just trying to win more money. If you mention something like, oh, I just won a lot, or man, I heard that that horse is doing pretty good, or that fighter's doing pretty good, you can get them to bet on that more and maybe even lose some money. Um, hatred, another one too. When someone hates someone, this is like the sense of revenge. They will do anything to get it. We've, of course, uh, read about this earlier in the chapter of this man that was swindled and he spent the rest of his life, all of his inheritance, all of his money, time, and energy hunting down the people that swindled him. He succeeded, but he lost everything in the process. So if you can do that, you can discover the thumbscrew. Very cool. Um, the observance of the law, they gave an example back in the 1600s of this uh, bishop and his uh, his son became king. So his uh, wife ended up looking over him after the husband died. And to get to the son, this man found out that he could use the mother. So all he did was pamper the mother with stuff. And by getting to the mother who influenced the son, you know, he was able to gain power. I compare it if we do Game of Thrones terms, uh, Littlefinger influencing Cersei somehow or getting to be liked by Cersei and then Cersei influencing Joffrey. Of course, that's not, that is not how the Game of Thrones played out, of course, as we all know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a good example, I think. Speaking of Game of Thrones, uh, George R. R. Martin, when you're writing that sixth book, when are you writing that sixth book? I'm getting real pissed off. You know, I'm going to have to reread all the Game of Thrones books now, get all caught up on my lore, all right, before I can even read the sixth book, because it's been so long. Um, I am pumped for House of the Dragon, though, season two coming out this summer, as well, as well, I found out they're making an Aegon's, Aegon's Conquest. Uh, TV show, which honestly is probably the most hype I've ever been. Aegon's Conquest is one of the coolest elements of Game of Thrones. Just picture a uh, handsome blonde man and his two handsome sisters. I don't condone incest, but you know, that's that's the theme of it. Him and his two sisters, um, who are also his lovers, uh, taking over Westeros on their dragons. And just, it's all bloody, it's all gore. 
Um, but yeah, George R. R. Martin, you weirdo, talking about incest. But that that was true at the time. And we've heard about the Rothschilds, who they had their siblings mate with their uh, children so that they could keep the bloodline pure. That is disgusting. Keeping a bloodline pure is never a good idea. Um, anything else? Let me see. Oh, yes, there was one where uh, this man named Count Victor Lustig, he was basically a swindler, but he visited... Um, basically visited, uh, where was he at? Was he in Florida? I believe he was in Florida and master con artist. He acted like he was this high roller for exist, for example. And he was able to finesse people out of money by acting like he was a high roller, you know? So he would mention like, oh, hey, you know, if you want to invest in this deal, you know, I'll put up 400,000, you put up a hundred thousand and uh, we can call it that. They'd invest their money and he'd walk away with a hundred thousand dollars because he would be lying. Uh, so very, very fascinating. He would find that weakness by determining who who's the most insecure, who is who wanted to uh, make the most profit, who had the most greed for money. Uh, this give, gives a great number of examples. Um, here's the image, the thumb screw. Your enemy has secrets that he guards, thinks thoughts he will not reveal, but they come out in ways he cannot help. It is somewhere a groove of heart, weakness on his head, at his heart, over his belly. <laughs> Once you find the groove, put your thumb in it and turn him at will. So... The reversal of this is playing on people's weakness has one significant danger. You may stir up an action you cannot control, such as if you irritate someone, they could re seek retribution and take you out. But determining someone's thumbscrew is how you can obtain power over them. Wow, kind of dark when you say it out loud. Our second law and final law we'll be talking about for this episode is law number 34. Be royal in your own fashion. Act like a king to be treated like one. And this is all about confidence, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you know that it's all about confidence, baby? Y'all know that song? Oh, just me? Okay. Here's the judgments. The way you carry yourself will often determine how you are treated. Think about that. In the long run, appearing vulgar or common will make people disrespect you. For a king respects himself and inspires the same sentiment in others. By acting regally and confident of your powers, you may make yourself seem destined to wear a crown. Here's a quote by the great Baltazar Gracione, never lose your self-respect, nor be too familiar with yourself when you are alone. Let your integrity itself be your own standard of rectitude and be more indebted to the severity of your own judgment of yourself than to all external precepts. Wow. De desist from unseemly conduct, rather out of respect for your own virtue than for the structures of external authority, such as society. Come to hold yourself in awe and you will have no need of Seneca's imaginary tutor. I don't know what that means. But I do know that is a great thing. If you carry yourself with pride in private and public, you will truly feel amazing about yourself. You'll truly just feel empowered. But the one thing about this law, I will say, is you you have to act like the king, but you also can't act like the king when you are just nowhere out of power. Like, carry yourself with pride. You know, don't go always go along with the crowd. Don't act vulgar, vul, vulnerable. Vulnerable, there's the word. Don't act weak at all. But also, the the issue with acting king is some people tend to get cocky. They may start to treat people like they're subjects, if you will. And that's just not how you do it. Not how you do it. I, I've, I've attempted to kind of bring out the authority in myself, you know, act like I'm better than people. And, you know, they, it kind of throws them up because they're kind of like, you think you're better than me? And the goal isn't to make people think that you're better than them. It's to make them think like, okay, this is a respectable guy. Um, I believe the example... 
What was the good example they gave? I'm trying to find it. Uh, it was with Christopher Columbus. Christopher Columbus uh, made people think he was this amazing adventurer that he was just born from wealth. But no, he's born a common man to, a, I think it was a wine or cheese salesman uh, who owned like a little shop out in Spain or wherever he was from. And he basically just created this image of himself as a great explorer, was able to convince the Spanish king and queen to fund his trip to America's where he went. Um, but in reality, he was not that expert of an explorer. He was mediocre at best. He didn't know much about the sea compared to an average sailor. Uh, he had no idea what, how latitude and longitude worked, and he even mistook islands for vast continents. So it's amazing that he discovered America in quotations. Of course, we all know what he did to native people. Terrible human being. But um, yeah, he was a perfect example of this is by he acted like he was the king. He acted like he was the man, and people treat him like it. Because, you know, if it, it kind of compares to a law we talked about before is if you ask big demands, you know, it'll kind of catch people off guard like, wow, you're asking that much as your starting price. I mean, you you must you must be entitled of to some goodness of some kind, to some power, if you will. So a very fascinating law. Here's a quote by Friedrich Nietzsche, who lived from 1844 to 1900. With all great deceivers, there is a noteworthy occurrence to which they owe their power. In the actual act of deception, they are overcome by belief in themselves. It is this which then speaks so miraculously and compelling to those around them. So it's all about having a belief in yourself, which I mean believe in yourself, bet on yourself, count on yourself. So true. Trust your gut. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you like yourself, then you'll like other people and other people are like you. I mean, I, I just never not like myself. You know, I always like, you know, not to sound like, actually, yeah, to sound like cocky, if you will. I always have liked myself. You know, I like, you know, like your body. You know, if you don't like your body, change it. Okay. Like your mind. If you don't like your mind, change your thinking. If you don't like something about it, change it. All right. But not for anyone else, for you. Do it for yourself. Here's the image, the crown. Place it upon your head and you assume a different pose tranquil yet radiating assurance never show doubt never lose your dignity beneath the crown or it will not fit it will seem to be destined for one more worthy do not wait for a coronation the greatest emperors crown themselves not even gonna read a more not even gonna read a more that's how we will end our 48 laws of power the greatest emperors crown themselves okay you you, you know i mean and, and think of think about Michael Jordan and Tom Brady, for example. You know, they I'll say it's more about Michael Jordan as he said he was the best. You know, Michael Jordan said, Hey, I am the best. Take LeBron, for example, he says, I am the best. You know, they put the crown on their heads. Okay, the other people then followed up saying he's the goat, he's the goat. But if you if you, you the greatest emperors crown themselves. Love that quote. Absolutely am in love with that quote. Let's move on from assuming power. You know, we can't be we can't be power hungry all the time. We have to celebrate. You know, we have to celebrate. And one thing that we like to celebrate on are holidays. That's right. We love holidays, great holidays, small holidays. Always a time to get together. I actually heard about the Lunar Chinese New Year's. Is it Chinese or just Lunar, like Asian New Year or something? And I heard it's very cool that you get like envelopes full of money. You just like it's supposed to symbol like good goodness and good luck. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. And then, you know, I'm just like trying to figure out well, what's a surprise topic we could talk about for the week. What's some what's some that we could talk about? And I was thinking, you know what? Um, I really like Christmas. I really like Halloween. I really like 
all sorts of these holidays. So why don't I rank my top 10 favorite holidays? So I took to the national government page, found 10 certified holidays, and I decided to rank them as my, uh, just out of all of them. So, I mean, this isn't like a ranking of number 10 is the worst, number one is the best, but it's more of number one is my favorite, number 10 is uh, my 10th favorite. I like them all. I like all of these, and it's just something to mix it up, mix it up before we talk about all the UFC 298 fights, which I am absolutely pumped for. So, without a doubt, let's get right into my top 10 holidays of all time. And kicking us off at number 10, the number 10 holiday. You know, I bet if you were to uh, guess what my favorite holiday is um, at number 10, you wouldn't. But it is actually Labor Day. Labor Day is a federal holiday celebrated on the first Monday of September to honor and recognize the American labor and con contributions of just labor around the world. And this day always came in clutch, or especially... Um, at college, because, you know, it was like the second week of classes, and we get a Monday off, you know, super hype, hey, we get Labor Day off, and it was always um the day, the Monday before school, or whatever it was, but Labor Day, it's meant to celebrate work, and, you know, all hard work and American men and women get this day off, you know, it's just so American, you love it, you love to see it, um, Labor Day, you are my number 10 favorite holiday, I know people are going, oh, are they all going to be lame holidays? Are they all, all going to be lame holidays? Well, no, because coming in at number nine is the one we just celebrated, and that is Valentine's Day. I mean, Valentine's Day, uh, absolutely amazing. Also also called St. Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine. Um, it actually originated as a Christian feast uh, day honoring a martyr named Valentine. And uh, later folk traditions, it became a significant cultural, religious, and commercial celebration of love. So, yes, Valentine's Day. I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't love a little Valentine's Day? You know, who doesn't love a little Valentine's Day? Spreading the love. You know, I love buying my girlfriend stuff. You know, just calling up people saying, hey, I love you, man. And I don't really know if anyone does that. But Valentine's Day is so fun. Also, you see all these red and pink and you get chocolates and flowers. It's just so, makes y'all happy. Certainly uh, kind of fruity, actually. I say we move on from this Valentine's Day stuff. But yes, Valentine's Day at number nine. Actually happened yesterday. And number eight, we are going down to Mexico, my friends, because it is a yearly celebration held on May 5th, also, also my girlfriend Lexi's birthday, by the way, May 5th, to celebrate Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire at the Battle of Puebla in 1862, led by General Ignacio Zaragoza, and that is Cinco de Mayo. Yes, Cinco de Mayo. Absolutely love Cinco de Mayo. And you know, do I love it for the right reasons? Absolutely not. I have amazing Mexican food on this day, tacos, burritos, enchiladas, delicious, some salsa and chips. I'm, I mean, it's so fun. Everyone's just so happy, like, hey, Cinco de Mayo, and you know, everything's buzzing. We used to have celebrations in school for it, I think, or we learned about it, but it's just such a fun holiday. It's also my girlfriend's birthday, so you know, I had to sneak that in there. Lexi, there you go. There you go. Your birthday is also one of my favorite holidays. It just happens to fall on the same day as Mexican independence. Hola, senoritas. Okay, coming in at number seven. Coming in at number seven. This We're taking a different turn here, guys. It's, you know, it's not happy, okay? We honor a king on this day, and not the birth of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Love you, Jesus. But the birth of another king, not the birth. I am sorry. And not the death. Instead, it goes out to Martin Luther King Jr. That is right, Monday, January 15th this year. And I believe it's... um. Was it the third Monday of every January? We celebrate MLK Day. The King MLK, um, you know, and honors the achievement.
achievements of Martin Luther King Jr., ba Baptist minister who advocated um, for black rights, you know, so just rights of everyone. You know, he wanted black people and white people to get it wrong. The civil rights movement, that's the word I was looking for. And there's actually a number of states that didn't even honor MLK Day until 2000. New Hampshire, screw you, you're a relevant state. Utah, Mormons, what the heck? South Carolina, come on, South Carolina, be like your North brother. And Arizona, what's going on down there? They weren't, they weren't recognizing the King's Day. But yes, MLK Day, oh man, the Reverend, rest in peace. It's a shame he got killed by the CIA, you know. We're not getting into conspiracies, are we? No, but yes. MLK, I will, I will miss you. You know, I never met you. I, I never mentioned when did he die the 60s I think he died in the 60s if I'm uh if I'm not speaking incorrectly but yes that is my number seven favorite holiday coming in at number six is the 4th of July otherwise known as Independence Day not the movie and is known um as the 4th of July's federal holiday commemorating the Declaration of Independence which was ratified by the Second Continental Congregation okay blah 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 the 13 colonies separated from uh Great Britain the, during the American Revolution and I mean come on the 4th of July everyone's everyone's got the American flag out you know we're grilling dogs we're having beers we're flexing our muscles we're shooting fireworks shooting guns i mean this is just american pride number one i mean who doesn't love the fourth of july celebrate being an american yeah baby we love america yeah we do fourth of july always fun i always cook up a new shirt every year usually sleeveless to show off the guns which i put in work for at the gym year round but i do i do enjoy the fourth of july the fireworks are fun and just everyone's so happy, so super happy to be an American. You know, it's a shame that we aren't like this always, especially it's an election year. It's election year. Oh, gosh. I'm not ready for election season. Americans just become so divided. So I think I'm joining the independent party this year. I'm completely joking, by the way. I'll tell you what I'm not joking about, and that is my number five um, holiday of my list. I don't really have a good segue into this. I was going to say something about hopping since my number five is Easter, but uh, I completely messed it up. I was talking about pol political parties for some reason. But yes, Easter, my number five favorite holiday of them all. I mean, I like Easter. I always get to see the family. Um, I get Easter baskets every year because my mommy loves me. Um, and I honestly, I remember being little going out looking for eggs and, um, that was so much fun. Find the plastic eggs, find stuff in them. And even what I would do with my parents uh, during the whole time is I would hide eggs around the house. I'd have them hide eggs and I'd try and find them. Uh, absolutely love this. Um, it's also a Christian holiday commemorating the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, so that's, that's the more important reason of Easter. That's the more important reason for Easter. You know, the bunnies and stuff actually has a more pagan, pagan, um, following because bunnies, you know, they have a lot of uh, sex. They have a lot of babies. So it's actually known as a fertility holiday for pagans. But, um, I'm kind of glad that us Christians, you know, we've kind of turned into more of just like Jesus, you know, we love you. We love you, Jesus. So if you know that part of it, you know, it's still okay to, you know, play around with eggs and bunnies. Just don't worship bunnies and, uh, eggs worship, uh, worship, uh, do you get the eggs like fertility? You kind of get that. Isn't that crazy? They hide the eggs, you know, they would hide the eggs and, uh, the bunnies and stuff. Yeah. I think you all get the gist I'm saying. Easter's number five. Love you, Jesus. Love my family. Let's move in to number four as we get into a fun one. We get into a fun one. Oh, man. And, you know, I got a little Irish in me, lad. You know, I'm a big Conor McGregor fan. We got Ian Gary fighting on, and that is St. 
Patrick's Day going down March 17th every year. And St. Patrick was actually a 5th century uh, Romano-British Christian missionary and bishop in Ireland. And much of what is known about St. Patrick comes from the Declaration, which was originally, originally written by Patrick himself. And it is believed that... Um, I don't know if he was killed or survived being killed, uh, but this day was meant to honor him or something. Just a little background. On the holiday, yes, we all get our green on. You know, I always, I think last year I had um, McGlobe Ultras, but they were like lime, you know, because they were green. And, you know, we had a huge, huge party down here at Mankato. It was so much fun. And actually, some kid I went to high school with, I know him a while. I call him a friend, Josh Redipang. I think his birthday was actually on St. Patrick's Day. Pretty, pretty sure that's pretty cool. That's super, super cool. But yeah, St. Patrick's Day, I get my leprechaun on. Um, yeah, lots of fun stuff. Shamrocks. Oh, my gosh. Shamrock shakes. Oh, my goodness. I need to get a shamrock shake. I need to get a shamrock shake. I'm actually putting that on my calendar right now to get a shamrock shake. Wow. Valentine's Day is over. Let me get my St. Patrick's Day move. Mood move. Alrighty, Let's get into our top 10 or my top 10 holidays of all time not top 10 top three i'm sorry i speak too fast sometimes the thoughts just roll right out of me and i'll tell you what rolls into me and that is food because that number three is thanksgiving love thanksgiving oh my gosh um it's actually called american thanksgiving outside the united states to distinguish it from the canadian holiday of the same name isn't that pretty interesting um it's super super fun uh, it's actually celebrated in uh liberia and Brazil and Germany under unofficial terms as well. But yes, Thanksgiving, we honor the first meeting between or first meal between settlers and Indians. I don't know how that's actually went, but every year, watch a little football, see my parents, see my dog, see my grandpa, and eat some delicious food. Have some Baileys, have some wine. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Actually, my cousin Parker, he was down here for last Thanksgiving. Absolutely love it. It's just such an amazing time every year and as I get older I wonder will I be able to make it home every Thanksgiving I really hope I will be able to Thanksgiving you're my number three holiday of all time Alrighty, let's get into the number two holiday of all time, and I hope it doesn't spook you when I tell you, that's right, it's Halloween, October 31st, the final October of every year. It's actually observed in many countries under the name All Hallows Day, um, and it's just fun, so fun, you get candy, you know, it's all spookiness, spooky times, and plus I just love October. You know, I just I'm the, My vibes are always so high in October because of Halloween, my birthday, I just feel like the month of October is always good. You know, I always have good vibes in October. I don't think I've ever had a bad October. You know, as I say that, I realize that my grandma died in October. So rest in peace, Grandma. I absolutely love you. But, uh, you know, yeah, love, love, love October. Alrighty, Not to dim the mood. But I guess, you know, Halloween is all about dimming the mood, getting all spooky and stuff. But, yeah, majority of the time, October's good. Halloween, usually have fun dressing up in costumes. And next year, next year's costume, that's right. We are going to be Austin Powers, baby. Oh, yeah, shagadelic groovy, baby. You know it. You absolutely know. And a big Austin Powers guy. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, Austin Powers, an amazing three movies. Wish they would have made more starring, oh my gosh, what's his name? What's his freaking name? He's the voice of Shrek. He was on, uh, what was it, Wally's World or something? Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. I cannot remember his name. Actually, you know what? Let me just look it up. I, I have to figure out what his name is. It's absolutely slipping my mind. It's actually uh, Mike Myers. That's what it is. Mike Myers. Love Mike Myers. So funny. But yes, that is my number two holiday, Halloween candy. I actually don't even eat that much candy anymore. You know what? Candy's always fun to get. 
on Halloween, and we get into the number one uh, holiday of all time. I feel like it should be unanimous. I feel like it should be unanimous. If this isn't your number one holiday, then you must have some childhood trauma relating to this, which will be your thumbscrew. Time back to what we just talked about. But the number one holiday for me personally is Christmas. I just, I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. There's the day, the 23rd, the 24th, and even on the 25th is just, even every single, December 1st to 25th, amazing. December 26th and on, just terrible. But I'm joking, not terrible. But I'm talking the Christmas spirit. It's not even just Christmas Day. It's the whole month of December. You get in the Christmas mood. You decorate trees. You decorate your house. You buy presents. You get presents. You travel to see family. It is absolutely amazing. I love Christmas. You know, it definitely comes from my mother. We got it from her mother who loved Christmas, decorates for Christmas. It's all about Christmas. And I love buying gifts for people more. I like seeing them open their gifts more than I like receiving gifts. And I do like receiving gifts. You know, let's not get that out of the way. I love getting gifts, but um, let me just tell you, Christmas is so amazing. We always go to Chicago every year. I get to see my family. Just, uh, just absolutely amazing. Christmas, such a fun time. Such a fun time. Christmas, you are my number one holiday of all time. I, I don't even know if any of these come close. There is a gap. There's a gap between Thanksgiving and Halloween, and the gap between Halloween and Christmas is greater than anything. Nothing even comes close to Christmas. What other, what other holiday could even come close to Christmas? Nothing at all. So yes, ladies and gentlemen, those are my top 10 holidays of all time. Labor Day at 10, Valentine's Day at 9, Cinco de Mayo at 8, MLK Day at 7, 4th of July at 6, Easter at 5, St. Patrick's Day at 4, Thanksgiving at 3, Halloween at 2, and Christmas at 1 because it is number one. That is right. Holidays galore. I'm excited. What's the next holiday I said? St. Patrick's Day? What April's Fool's Day? Does that count? I don't know, but I'll tell you what, I'm a fool over, and that is the upcoming UFC pay-per-view going down this Saturday. That's why we made this episode. That's why I'm bringing the energy to you. We are going to cover all 12 fights on the card and drop my live predictions, my live predictions here on the show. Of course, follow me on Verdict MMA ZR2002. If you guys want to see my picks for the main card live, and we've been on absolute fire. This year so far, we are yet to have a negative event, yet to have a negative main card. I've uh, been doing pretty good on my predictions. So without a doubt, let's not waste any more time. Let's wrap this episode up with a little fun and preview all 12 fights for UFC 298. Yeah. Kicking off our star-studded UFC 298 card, we will head to the women's straw weight division. Oh, flyweight division. My bad. Different women's division. As we see Andrea KJB Lee take on Miranda Fear the Maverick. Interesting nickname. Fear the Maverick. You have to think if you were to read it. Fear the Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick, fear thee. You really have to slip it in the middle for it to work. Um, Andre Lee, 13 and 8 professional record. Miranda Maverick, 14 and 5. 5, 6 to 5, 3 gives Andre Lee a 3 inch height advantage and 69 to 65 inch reach gives her 4 inches in reach. Orthodox stance for Andre Lee, throwing with that right hand southpaw for Miranda Maverick with the left. Andre Lee, 35 years old. She's currently the number 15 ranked women's flyweight. She is from Louisiana. Her specialty is Muay Thai slash Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Of her, what is it? What is Andrea up to? Of her 13 victories, three by knockout, five by submission. And she's only been finished once in her career, which was by Rear Naked Chokehold in 2016. Been a while since she was uh, submitted or gotten a finish. Been about like three years since she got a finish. 
Um, she is on a three-fight losing skid, though, and it's tied for the longest of her career. She has yet to earn a victory since November of 2021 when she beat Cynthia Calvillo after the fight was stopped after round two. She has landed 19 takedowns in the women's flyweight division, the third most in divisional history between, behind Valentina Shevchenko and Jillian Robertson. And she is one of 11 fighters in UFC history to earn a submission victory by triangle armbar, which she actually got at UFC 262 against Antonia Shevchenko, um, Valentina's sister. And she has two fight the night bonuses, which is actually tied for second most in divisional history uh, for the women's flyweight division. That is Andrea Lee, been in the UFC since 2018, had some high had some lows. I mean, she uh, her biggest win was probably against Cynthia Calvillo, but since since November 2021, she's yet to win. She lost the decision to Viviana Rujo in 2022, and 2023 lost to Macy Barber and Natalia Silva. So it's been a while since Andrea Lee was on the right packed uh, path, but maybe she'll get it uh, going if she beats Miranda Maverick. The 26-year-old is from Colorado and actually trains at Elevation Fight Team with uh, the boys, uh, Curtis Blades, Neil Magny, Corey Sanhagen, a lot of notable UFC guys. She actually went to uh, Old Dominion University. I don't know what she majored in, but she went there. Of her 14 victories, she has one knockout and seven submissions, and she's never been finished. All five of her losses by decision. Been in the UFC since 2020, holds wins over Jillian Robertson, Priscilla Cachuera, and she actually beat Priscilla Cachuera by armbar back in July, which was her last win. Her UFC losses are to Macy Barber, Aaron Blanchfield, and Jasmine Jasu Devicious, so she is very, very talented. If I'm choosing... And if I'm choosing, look, Miranda Maverick, I've seen her been doing good. Andrea Lee's back is against the wall, but I, I'm, I'm leaning Miranda Maverick here. I am leaning Miranda Maverick. I think she has better grappling that will favor her against uh, Andrea Lee. So I am going to say Miranda Maverick uh, by decision. So we're going to throw decision onto the sheet, and that's my prediction. That is what I think will happen in the fight. But, you know, it can go either way with these women fights to open up the card. I just, Andre Lee, she hasn't won since 2021. It's been a while since she knew what winning was like. I don't see her getting back in the winning column. Moving on to our second fight of the evening, Oban, the Welsh gangster, will take on Val, the animal Woodburn, in a welterweight matchup. Oban Elliott, nine and two professional record. Val Woodburn, seven and one. Six foot to five eight gives Oban four inches in height, but Val has a two inch reach advantage, seventy four inches to seventy two. Both fighters stand in the orthodox stance. Let's kick it off with Val, the animal. Woodburn, he is 30 years old from Florida. He has five KOs of his seven victories and actually trains at Fusion XL Performance with the notable man, Jacare Souza. And this is his natural weight class. Of course, he debuted on short notice back in July, up 15 pounds against Bo Nickel. Unfortunately, that fight did not go his way as Bo Nickel knocked him out in 38 seconds. But Val, back to get it done. Happy to see the uh, the animal getting another shot. Fun nicknamed the animal. Val the animal would burn. Um, you know what? There's not much to say from what we've seen so far, but very happy to see you. Val Woodburn. His opponent, Oban the Welsh Gangster. Elliot, oh man, 26 years old, from Wales. That's right, this boy's from the UK area. Um, trains at Shore MMA, which is uh, the gym that Jack Shore owns and trains, or his family owns. Um, of his nine victories, two by knockout, three by sub. He's currently on a five-fight win streak, and he comes from the Cage Warriors promotion. 
Last fought in August, where he beat Kalik Brito on Dana White's Contender Series. Used his grappling to really get it done there. Was able to outstrike him in rounds one and three, but did lose round number two. Very fascinating. Not really much to gather from here. Obon's got the height. I do know that Val likes to likes to throw down after seeing his fight with um, what's his face with Bo Nickel. I'm just I'm a little torn on this one. I'm a little torn because I can easily see Val rushing across the cage using his little reach that he has to kind of knock out Obon right out the back. I mean, Obon does have two losses, does have two losses, but I just I I just get the vibe Obon's going to get it done. I get the vibe Obon Elliott's going to get done. I'm going to ride with the Welsh Gangster. He's also got a great nickname. Um, I am going to say by decision, though. I am going to say by decision. Because I am a little torn. You know, maybe he'll finish Val. Maybe he won't. But I'm just really torn because I feel like Val could knock out Oban. This could go either man's way. This usually happens when I get a little hesitant. It goes the opposite way. So if Val Woodburn knocks out Oban Elliott, I'll have to eat my words. But as for now, I will ride with Oban the Welsh Gangster. I just, his nickname is too cool. That is a dope nickname. That is a really dope nickname. Remember when John Cena... Um, in the Suicide Squad, when uh, what was his name? Idris Elba was like, "Why, why do you have small bullets? It's so dumb." And John Cena goes, "Cause it's dope as bleep." That's right. Sometimes when things are dope, they're just better. Okay, let's move along to our next matchup, heading to the men's welterweight division again, as Josh Bushido Quinlan takes on Danny Left Hand to God Barlow. Wow. Um, gentlemen, we really have to assess our nicknames. I don't know if they're that good. Josh Quinlan, 6-1 with a 1-no contest. Danny Barlow, an undefeated 7-0. 2 inches in height for Danny, 6-foot-2 to 6-foot. And 7 inches in reach for Danny Barlow. 79 reaches, inches to 72. Wow, he stands southpaw, so Danny's throwing that left hand. Of course, I should have known left hand to God. And uh, Josh Quinlan stands orthodox. Oh, man. Oh, man, this one's going to be good. I can tell Josh Quinlan, of course, uh, 31 years old from Nevada of his six victories, four by knockout, two by sub, 100% finish rate. He trains at Milestone Martial Arts. Happy to see you back, Josh. Um, actually had a no contest ruled on Daniel West Contender Series for some reason, despite getting a 47-second knockout. Um, in August of 2022, he did make his debut and had a two-minute knockout of Jason Witt. Huh, how about that? Had one fight in 2023 where he lost by, uh, to Trey Waters by unanimous decision. I remember that. That was on short notice. Trey Waters took advantage of the opportunity he was given. Josh Quinlan, happy to see him back. He kind of looks like, gosh, I don't even know who, mm, I don't really know who Josh looks like. He looks like a celebrity, though. Danny Barlow, 28 years old, from Tennessee of his seven victories, four by knockout, one by sub. Trains at law school. MMA, pretty fun name. Uh, knocked out Raheem Forrest on uh, the f episode eight of season seven of Daniel's Contender. She's back in September. A minute and 19 second TKO for Danny Barlow. Happy to see him back. Josh Quinlan, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I see that. I see Danny Barlow winning. You know, I'm riding with Danny Barlow. I, I love the undefeated fighters, but I don't know if he's going to get the knockout. But just because his nickname's Left Hand to God, we're going to give him the round one knockout of Josh Quinlan. Plus, Josh just lost to Trey Waters, and there's just something when a fighter loses on short notice to someone who's probably not as good as them that really just dampens, dampens how good they continue to be. So we'll see what happens, but I will be riding with Danny Barlow. Danny Barlow. Plus, this was on Dana White's uh, fights to watch, or what is it? 
Um, you don't want to miss this. You know, he does that post that on Instagram or whatever. And he was saying you don't want to miss this fight. So I will not be missing it, Dana. I'll take your word as is. We move up to the light heavyweight division at 205 as we have a... This is one of my favorites. This is my favorite prelim. This is my favorite prelim as Zhang Mountain Tiger Min Yang takes on Brenson the Gorilla Ribeiro. Oh my goodness, I'm so hyped. Zhang Ming Yang, 16 and 6. Brenson Ribeiro, 15 and 5 with one no contest. 6 foot 3, the 6 foot 2 gives Brenson just an inch in height. 75 to 81, though, in inches of reach. That is 6 inches in advance for Brenson Ribeiro. So that reach will probably prove very notable. Uh, both fighters stand in the orthodox stance. Let's head to Ming Yang Zhang. The 25 year old is from Shandong, China. And of his 16 victories, 10 by knockout, 6 by sub, giving him a 100% finish rate. He fought on the first season of Road to the UFC back in June of 2022, where he had a round one knockout of Tuco Tocos. Some injuries have held him back from fighting, but he is on a nine-fight win streak. Happy to see Ming Yang Zhang back in the octagon. And you may be asking yourself, okay. He's got a 100% finish rate. What about his opponent, Brenson Ribeiro? Yeah, Brenson, 27 years old from Piranha, Brazil. He's on a little three-fight win streak. 15 wins, 9 by knockout, 6 by sub, giving both of these fighters a 100% finish rate. Oh, man, someone's finish rate is going to go up in this one, I guarantee it. Brenson fought on Season 7 of Day 1's Contender Series back in September, got a round one knockout of Bruno Lopez. I mean, these boys love to knock out. They love to submit. I don't know who to go with, boys. I'm so torn. This is such an amazing fight. Such an amazing fight. But, I mean, just looking at him, just looking at him, I mean, um, Brenson's got an inch in height. The six inches in reach is what's really getting to me. Um, both had dominant wins. Oh, it's t really tough to say. Uh, I haven't seen much of either man. I do, I do like what Zog Young though. I, I do kind of like what he, uh, what he was bringing. I'm, I'm a little torn though. Brenton Ribeiro, you know, he seems good himself. Let me tell you what. I would be mad if I didn't pick him because his name is Dope AF. Zhang Mountain Tiger Ming Yang. Give me him. And guess what? They've both had submissions, and even though neither man really mixed in the submissions, in fact, um, Zhang was actually taken down in the fight that he uh, uh, won. You know, he's taken down the fight he won, literally got up and knocked out his opponent. I am going to say Ming Yang Zhang, the Mountain Tiger, will get a round two submission. A round two submission for Ming Yang Zong just to be ballsy, just because, I mean, he has six submissions. You know, this guy can't submit people. Nine by win streak, coming from China, coming from, you know, Donald Trump, China, you know? So I'm really rooting for Ming Yang Zong in this one, but this one is just, it's so loaded. You rarely see two fighters with a 100% finish rate. It would be even crazier if it went the distance. We'll see what happens, though. I am absolutely pumped for that matchup. Heading down to the small boys, 135 at bantamweight as Rinya Hybrid Nakamura takes on Carlos Pequeño Vera. Ooh, very fun. Rinya is a perfect 8-0. Carlos Vera, 11-3. 5-7-5-6 gives Rinya a 1-inch height advantage. 69 inches in reach to 68 gives Carlos 1 inch in reach. Southpaw stands for Rinya, throwing that left hand, and orthodox for Carlos with the right. Let's start off with Rinya Nakamura. Oh my goodness. The perfect 8 no. The 28-year-old is from Japan and went to Sensha University. So he is an educated fellow. Five KOs and one sub make up his eight victories. So, I mean, six out of eight. 
That is a 75% finish rate. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, this guy was this guy was also on season uh, one of Road to the UFC, same as Jiang Mingyang, and he actually won. He actually won. He uh, submitted Gugan Guzman in the first round, submitted Shohel Nose in the second, and then knocked out Toshiyama Kaza in the final uh, first 30 seconds of round number one. His debut officially in the UFC, if you will, I mean, obviously, they all count as wins, but was against Fern Garcia, where he absolutely grappled him to death. Back at UFC Singapore on um, four takedowns for nine and a half minutes of control time in a three-on fight. We did just see Fern Garcia get brutalized by Hydra Mill last weekend. So, I mean, that does, I mean, you probably should have finished him. But Rinya, super talented, happy to see ya. His opponent, Carlos Vera, 36 years old, was born in Ecuador, now lives and trains in Virginia. Of his 11 victories, one by knockout, five by submission, he was actually on The Ultimate Fighter, um, season 31. So if we don't count his loss on there, he's on a little four-fight win streak. Of his own, I will say the age, 36 to 28, doesn't really lean towards Carlos Vera. I'll say I don't have any info on him since this is his official UFC debut. I did see him lose on this past season of uh, The Ultimate Fighter. So, I mean, not too promising there. So, unfortunately for Carlos, I'm going to give the nod to Rinya Nakamura. And unlike his last fight against Fern Garcia, Rinya Nakamura is coming out with the fire. Give me a round one back-to-back submissions. That's right, round one submission for Rinya Nakamura. Both of my uh, uh, Eastern Asian boys, my Japan and China boys, they're getting submissions. That's right. Ming Yang and Rinya, they're getting submissions. That's who I'm riding with. That is who I will be rooting for. Plus, I mean, Rinya Nakamura, dude, sounds like he's a hero in an anime. That sounds dope. I keep, keep using that word dope. I'm using it too much. I've caught myself. I've caught myself using that word too much on this episode. Alrighty. We're going back from the big boys. To the little boys, and from the little boys back to the big boys as we get a heavyweight banger coming up at men's heavyweight. Of course, there's not a female's heavyweight. As number 15-ranked heavyweight Marcos Rogero de Lima, nickname is Pizau, takes on Justin Bad Bad Taffa. Ooh, I'm a big fan of Justin Taffa. Him and his brother, absolute knockout artist. This should be a fun one. Marcos Rogero de Lima, 21-10-1. Justin Taffa, 7-3 with one no contest. 6-1-6. Six foot only gives Marcos an inch in height. 75 to 74 also gives Marcos one inch in reach. Orthodox stance for Marcos. Justin with the southpaw loves knocking people out with the right. Marcos Rogelio de Lima, the 38-year-old, is from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and trains at American Tot Team in the United States. Um, of Marcos's 21 victories, he has 13 knockouts and four subs. So 17 of 21 victories by finish. Very impressive, Marcos. Um, he actually, uh, he's seven and four in the UFC, um, and of his, uh, 17 career stoppages, he's finished 16 of those in round one. My goodness, Marcos, my goodness, you are, you are dangerous at times. But yeah, Marcos, been in the UFC a while. Since 2011, this is year number 13 for Marcos. Um, he was once at light heavyweight where he was losing to Nikita Krylov in 2015, uh, submitted by Ovin St. Prue in 2017. Submitted by Stefan Struve in 2019. Uh, 2020, got a knockout. Got a knockout over Ben Rothwell, you know. Submitted by Alexander Romanov. 
Lost the decision to Blagoy Ivanov, submitted Andrei Arlovsky in 2023, beat Waldo Cortez Acosta, and then, of course, last time out in July was knocked out by Derek Lewis with a flying knee into a flurry of punches in 33 seconds. So, Marco Sergio de Lima, you're on the chopping block. You're an old boy. You're 38 years old, so you got to face the young gun, the sniper that is Justin Badman Taffa from Australia. Seven victories, seven knockouts. Ooh, he is a fun boy. Made his UFC debut in 2019 in front of his home nation of Australia. Was shockingly knocked out by Jorgen De Castro. Wow. Did follow that up in February of 2020 with a round one knockout of Juan Adams. He would then lose a close split decision to Carlos Felipe and then lose a fight of the night to Jared Vandera. But since then, he's been locked in. December 2021, round one knockout of Harry Hunsucker. February 2023, round one knockout of Parker Porter in a minute. Then had an awkward no contest in June against Austin Lane, but came back September 2023 in front of a home nation of Australia, knocks out Austin Lane with a punch in a minute and 22 seconds. Justin Lane, he's back. Not Justin Lane, Justin Taffa. He's a bad man, and he's about to do some bad things when he knocks out Marco Sergio de Lima in round number one. That's right. Big Justin Taffa fan, and I now realize I now have back to three straight Three straight round one finishes. Oh, no, I have a round two, but I'm on a little finish streak here. But, I mean, come on, Justin Taffa, knockout man, knockout artist. He's improved so much since his last loss to, uh, who was that, Jared Vandera. Um, and Michael Stradley, he's old. He was just knocked out by Derek Lewis. He ate some hard punches in that, and Justin Taffa hits just as hard. And after Justin Taffa knocks him out, I hope Justin calls out Derek Lewis. Put, put Justin Taffa in the game. Okay, I want to see Justin Taffa in EA Sports UFC 5. That is a fighter I want to play with. I need I need some more heavyweights. You know, of all the of all the untalented, unranked heavyweights, Justin Taffa is not one of them. He is fun to watch. So best of luck to ya. We'll see what happens. Let's get into our final prelim of the night as we head to the women's strawweight division for ranked action between Amanda Limos and Mackenzie Dern. Amanda Limos is ranked number three at women's strawweight. Mackenzie Dern is ranked number seven. This is uh, going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun one. Amanda Limos, 13-3-1. Mackenzie Dern, 13-4. and four. So they've had the same number of professional fights. Both are five foot four. Okay, 65 inch reach to 63. So two inches in reach for Amanda Limos. Southpaw stands for Amanda. Orthodox for Mackenzie Dern. I was about to say, I've seen too many similarities. Very, very odd. Um, Amanda Limos um, is 36 years old from Para, Brazil. Of her 13 victories, eight by knockout, three by sub. Uh, five stoppage victories in the UFC Women's Strawweight Division are actually tied for the second most behind Jessica Andrade. And her five knockdowns landed in the UFC's uh, Strawweight Division are tied with uh, Jessica Andrade for the most in divisional history. Lemos's three knockout victories in the UFC Strawweight Division are second most in divisional history behind the same lady, Jessica Andrade. Yeah. Amanda Lemos debuted in 2017, did get finished, then went on a five-fight win streak, which included multiple round one finishes. Um, she beat Angela Hill in a fight of the night, lost to Jessica Andrade actually in 2022, finished Michelle Warson Gomez, finished Maria Rodriguez, last time out in August, was brutalized by Zhang Wei Li. Zhang Wei Li won a performance bonus for a decision victory. That's how dominating she was. But Amanda Limos, she's back, was supposed to take on Tatiana Suarez, obviously gets a less skilled person. Them. Actually, actually, that's too rude. That's that's a rude thing to say, but uh, not as good as Tatiana Suarez is, Max, is Mackenzie Dern. But nonetheless, uh, Amanda Lemos will have her hands full for this one. 
Mackenzie Dern, uh, the 30-year-old from Arizona, has seven submissions of her 13 career victories. Um, her four stoppage victories in the UFC women's division are tied for the fourth most in divisional history behind Jessica Andrade and Amanda Lemos. Um, her four submission victories in the strawweight division are the most in divisional history, so she has the most submission wins. Um, her four submission victories in the UFC are second most of any female in company history, and her five fight night bonuses in the strawweight division are third most in divisional history. So, wow, these two ladies are top uh, top three in a lot of categories. Mackenzie Dern, been in the UFC since 2018. Um, her only losses are to Amanda Hebas, Marina Rodriguez, Jan Cheonin, and Jessica Andrade. She was finished for the first time in her career against Jessica Andrade last time out in November. Got knocked down four times before getting knocked out three minutes into round number two. I mean, Mackenzie Dern has always been so entertaining. I mean, getting knee bars, getting arm bars, getting uh, fight of the nights against Angela Hill. I mean, she's super entertaining. Happy to see her back, but I am torn on this one, guys. I am torn because i just seen both of these ladies get brutalized. So I have to determine who bounces back more. Who can bounce back better? Will it be Amanda Lemos or will it be Mackenzie Dern? You know, I've seen Amanda Lemos. Um, get submitted quickly by Jessica Andrade, followed it up with two finishes, her next two fights. But after that, Zhang Wei Li lost. You know, that's really tough to rebound from, getting that brutalized. All right, she was bleeding. She was bloody. She had no answer for anything Zhang Wei Li had. I mean, one of the scorecards for this fight was a 50-43. It's like three ten eights. That's absolutely insane. Um, and as for Mackenzie Dern, you know, she had been on a little decision streak for four straight fights. And then after, you know, she was, she was swinging with Jessica Andrade. She clipped Andrade sometimes, but Andrade just had more power in her hands and she did show her durability. Um, but man, see Mackenzie Dern wins this if it gets to the ground, but if it stays on the feet, that's where Amanda Lemos will take the advantage. So unfortunately for Mackenzie Dern, I am going to have to pick Amanda Lemos. I will be rooting for Mackenzie Dern, though. But I am going to go Amanda Lemos. And just because I have too many finishes, I'm going to say this goes to a decision. I'm going to say Amanda Lemos wins a decision. And actually, when I played this on UFC, I usually, I could usually play some of the fights just by my lonesome. Amanda Lemos did win a decision. So that's pretty fascinating. So, um, yeah, Amanda Lemos over Mackenzie Dern by decision. I just think the striking will play a big impact in Amanda's win. And Mackenzie Dern, we just saw her chin get brutalized last time out. So, yeah, not much to, not much to expect in this one. Let's recap our prelim predictions before we move into this absolutely amazing main card. Um, Random Maverick over Andre Lee by unanimous decision. Oban Elliott over Val Woodburn by decision. Danny Barlow over Josh Quinlan by round one knockout. Ming Yang Zhang over Brenson Ribeiro by round two submission. Ring Nakamura over Carlos Vera by round one submission. Justin Badman Tafa over Marcos Rogero de Lima by round one knockout. And Amanda Limos over uh, Mackenzie Dern by decision. And the winner of this woman's fight will be still be ranked number three in the women's division. So that's a big spot to hold, um, especially with uh, women's fights always, you know, it's so easy to get a title shot in the women's division. You know, it's rare you see someone like Manny Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield main eventing a card where they both are on huge win streaks, both are very deserving. Because, I mean, as much as Amanda Lemos, it was fun to give her a title shot, she clearly wasn't ready, which is unfortunate to see. But I'll tell you what's not unfortunate to see. That is this main card. So as of now, all our picks are official. From here, they go in the notebook, which I actually haven't written in in a while. I probably should, but I don't really need to write stuff down anymore. I have this podcast as uh, physical evidence for everyone to see. 
I also just found out I have to pay for the podcast to upload. So I am now paying to do a hobby, which I guess a lot of people do. So there's that. And this this hobby could one day make me some money, huh? Get me a sponsorship, people. I'm kidding. If a sponsorship comes, it will come. And I'll tell you what's going to come. Our opening bout to kick off the UFC 298 main card, a middleweight matchup between number 15 ranked Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, love the nickname, and Roman Kopilov. Anthony Hernandez, 11-2 with one no contest. Roman Kopilov, 12-2. Hmm. Um, both men are six foot. Both men have a 75-inch reach. Orthodox stance, though, for Anthony. Southpaw for Roman. Wow, a lot of similarities between these two buggers. Let's kick it off with our number 15-ranked Anthony Hernandez, who's on a little four-fight win streak. He's 5-2 and two in the UFC, and he's the only fighter in UFC history to earn a victory and suffer a loss by Anaconda Choke. He um, submitted Jun Young Park with an Anaconda Choke, and in the fight before that was submitted with an Anaconda Choke, oddly enough, both times in round two. He does land 61.9% of his takedown attempts in the UFC middleweight competition division. Wow, it's weird it says competition. The best rate in divisional history. Um, wow, it's very impressive. Anthony Hernandez, uh, you know, his only losses are to Marcus Perez in 2019. That was so long ago. Uh, he actually came from Daywise Contender Series, but his win was overturned. Uh, his only other loss was to Kevin Holland in 2020. He got TKO'd in 39 seconds. Following that, submitted Rodolfo Vieira in 2021, beat Josh Fren by unanimous decision, uh, submitted uh, Marc-Andre Barriut, and in May of 2023, his lone fight last year, TKO'd Edmund Shabazian. So not too bad of a run for Anthony Hernandez. Now, he was supposed to fight um, the great Ikram Alakasarov, but unfortunately, Ikram had to pull out. So Anthony, 30 years old from California, of his 11 victories, 2 by knockout, 7 by sub, gets a somewhat easier opponent in Roman Kopilov. I don't really know if you want to call Roman easy. 32-year-old from Russia is a combo, combat sambo champion, and of his 12 victories, 11 by knockout, including 4 straight knockouts on his little win streak. Um, his knockout streak is actually um, the longest among active fighters in the company for knockout streaks. His four-fight UFC winning streak at middleweight is tied for the third longest behind Driscus Duplessis and Brendan Allen. Um, he defends 92% of opponent takedown attempts, the second highest rate in divisional history behind Chris Curtis. Whew, so a clashing of styles here. Okay, go back to the um, oh, same height and same height and reach. Oh man, this is a close one, boys. This is a very close fight. And I'm going to be honest, I don't like Anthony Hernandez for some reason. And I like Roman Kopila for some reason. Um, Roman, has uh, his win streak started in 2022 after he knocked out Alessio De Cherkio in round three. And then knocked out Punuheli Soriano in January last year with a head kick in round two. Knocked out Claudio Rivera in July in round two with a head kick. And knocked out Josh Rem with a knockout punch in September. So his boy, Combat Sambo, I mean, you throw kicks, he gets it done, defends 92% of takedowns, but Anthony Hernandez lands 62% of his takedowns. Ooh, it's definitely a clashing of styles. Uh, might I add, on this little win streak Anthony Hernandez has, in his last three fights, he has landed 22 takedowns. Okay, that's absolutely insane. And in all of his UFC career, he has actually landed 28 takedowns overall, which is absolutely insane. So, I mean, uh, what does he average, like four takedowns a fight or something like that? Uh, can I see it? Uh, takedown average. He averages 6.79 takedowns. 
per fight. That is absolutely insane, unheard of. But, Anthony, I hate to say this, this is short notice, and you're about to get a rude awakening when Roman Kopilov marches in from Russia and surprisingly knocks about in round number one. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. Give me Roman Kopilov. I just, come on, Roman Kopilov. I've seen more footage of him, his knockout abilities, his quick strike power, and even though, he hasn't gotten a finish in round one yet in the UFC so far. I predict he does. I predict he stuns Anthony off the bat, maybe with a body kick or something. And as long as Roman can defend the takedowns, that's the key to success. If it gets to the ground, though, that'll be Anthony Hernandez's uh, area. Yeah, that's the area that Anthony Hernandez wants the fight to get to. So, clash of styles. Grounds for Anthony, feeder for Roman. Let's see who wins the battle. But give me Roman Kopilov, and then he'll become ranked. That would be very cool to see. Alrighty, let's get into our next batch, matchup because this is absolutely insane. This could be the co-main event. This could this could also be the, the main event of a fight night in a popular crowd. As number two ranked men's bantamweight, Marab Dwevishelli takes on number three ranked Henry Cejudo. Oh man, this is going to be an absolutely amazing, amazing fight. I am, I am pumped. I'm pumped for this fight. Holy cow. Uh, Marab the Machine Devashelli the Machine Devashelli takes on Henry Triple C Sahudo. Marab is 16 and 4, Henry 16 and 3. 5'6 to 5'4, two inches in height for Marab, 68 inches in reach for Marab, 64 for Henry, so that's four inches in uh, advantage for Marab. Both fighters fight orthodox. Let's start off with Marab. Marab, 33 years old, he is from Georgia. That boy is from Georgia, the country. Absolutely crazy. Trains at uh, Sarah BJJ, Sarah Jiu-Jitsu, Aljamain Sterling, most notable fighter there. They're basically best buds. And uh, Marab, of his 16 victories, only three knockouts and one sub. Okay, so this is a decision machine, 12 decision victories. But he's on a nine-fight win streak. He has not lost since 2018. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Uh, Marab um, is uh, his... Uh, wait, why does it say eight-fight win streak? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He's on a nine-fight win streak. Where are they... Uh, oh, is one of these fights at featherweight? Because this says uh, Marab's eight-fight UFC winning streak at bantamweight is the longest active streak in division history. I don't know if he fought at featherweight at any point. I don't think he did. Um. Anyways, he has earned eight of his nine UFC victories by decision. The only... um. Oh, so, okay. So, yeah, that is correct. So, basically, one of Marab's fights on his nine-fight win streak was actually at featherweight, not at bantamweight. So, he's technically on an eight-fight bantamweight win streak. Um, his 61 takedowns landed in UFC bantamweight competition are the most in divisional history. Yeah, this boy lands a lot of takedowns, coming off in an 11-takedown performance against Piotr Jan. Um, he's the only fighter in UFC history to land 10 or more takedowns in four separate UFC fights. He attempted 49 takedowns uh, last time out against Peter Jans, a single-fight record in the UFC. And he actually outlanded Marlon Moraes in uh, his 2021 stoppage victory of him by a 212, which is the largest differential in uh, a single UFC bantamweight bout in uh, history. All right, this guy is super talented. He's They call him the machine for a reason. I mean, he's been on the run of a lifetime. It all started when he finished Marlon Moraes, beat Jose Aldo in 2022, actually retired Jose Aldo. And then uh, what he did to Pierre Jan in March was absolutely ridiculous. Don't tune in for a finish from this guy, but tune in if you just want to see unmatched drive forward. And by the way, I mean, the takedowns Marab has landed. I mean, he, by the way, his, his last loss, his only two losses in the UFC, he lost to Frankie Sens by split decision, 
where that was a close fight. He lost to Ricky Simone when he didn't tap to a guillotine choke, and after the fight ended, he was still somewhat passed out, so they ruled him out. So it was some pretty controversial. Since then, five takedowns against Tarion Ware, five takedowns against Brad Katona, 12 takedowns against Casey Kenny, 13 takedowns against Gustavo Lopez, took down John Dodson twice, took down Cody Stammen five times, took down Marlon Moraes four times. That fight against Marlon Moraes, super entertaining. One performance of the night for that comeback victory. Oh, man. Uh, was unable to take down Jose Aldo, but was able to withstand Jose Aldo's striking. Then, of course, went 11 of 49 on takedowns attempted against Henry Cejudo, or not against Henry Cejudo, against the Piotr Jan back in March. So, uh, very excited to see Marab get back into it. His opponent, Henry Cejudo, 37 years old from Arizona, trains at Fight Ready MMA. Of his 16 victories, half are by finish, seven by knockout, one by submission. Henry Cejudo, Triple C's, one of nine fighters in UFC history to win two titles um, in different weight classes. Alex Pajera, John Jones, BJ Penn, Conor McGregor, Amanda Nunes, Daniel Cormier, George St. Pierre, Randy Corter have also all done this. And he is one of four simultaneous two-division champions. Conor McGregor, Amanda Nunes, and Daniel Cormier all did this. And Henry Cejudo is one of three fighters in UFC history to record successful title defenses in two weight classes. Daniel Cormier and Amanda Nunes also did this. Henry Cejudo did this against Dominic Cruz and TJ Dillashaw. Henry Cejudo is the only MMA fighter to win an Olympic gold medal and a UFC championship. That's why he's Triple C, because uh, he's won two belts and one gold medal. Um, he is one of three Olympic gold medalists to fight in the UFC, along with Kevin Jackson and Mark Schultz. here in gold in freestyle wrestling at the 2008 Summer Olympics. And he is the only Olympic gold medalist to fight in the UFC since the organization was purchased by Zufa. He is 7-1 in the bantamweight division in his career. His only loss was last time out to Aljamain Sterling. Henry Cejudo, been around a while, been in the UFC since 2014. Um, of course, fought Demetrius Johnson for the belt back in 2016, failed to do so. Lost a split decision to Jose Benavides after that in a fight a lot of people thought he won. After that, went on a six-fight win streak, which included knockouts of Wilson Rice, fight of the Knights against Demetrius Johnson to win the feather of the flyweight belt. Finished TJ Dillashaw 32 seconds, became bantamweight champion against Marlon Moraes, and then became the only man to knock out Dominic Cruz when he defended the belt in 2020. Lost last time out to Osmond Sterling in a close fight, but Henry is back, but unfortunately for Henry, I hate to say it, the machine will not be stopped. Marab Dueva Shelley, you cannot deny the man anymore to give the Georgian his title shot and give him the victory here. I mean, a decision. I'm going to say by decision, I just uh, I just do not see a finish in this one. If, it, if there's going to be a finish, it's going to be Henry Cejudo getting a knockout, which would be very cool to see, or a little TKO on the ground, but I just really don't. I think Marab's time is coming. I think he's going to become bandweight champion at some point, and he's just so dang likable. I mean, every time he speaks, he's always happy. He's funny. He's a likable guy. And I'm going to be picking Marab Dwevashelli by decision. I predict he lands seven takedowns on Henry Cejudo, the most he'll ever have been taken down in his career. Alrighty, let's get into the final three fights of the card. We journey back to a familiar division on this card, but this time we're dealing with Ian Machado Gary, number 10 ranked men's welterweight, and Jeff Neal, who is ranked number 8 at men's welterweight. Jeff, hands of steel, Neal, and Ian the future. Gary, how about that? Jeff Neal is 15-5. He and Gary, a perfect 13-0. 
5'11 to 6'3 gives Ian Gary a, what is that, 5 inches, 4 inches in height? Pretty crazy. Um, Jeff Neal does have one inch reach, though, 75 to 74. Southpaw with Jeff Neal. Uh, Orthodox with Ian Gary. Jeff Neal. Uh, Jeff Neal is always a fun little guy to uh, watch fight. 33 years old from Texas of his 15 victories, 9 by knockout, 2 by sub. He's uh, actually had a canceled fight against Ian Gary at UFC 292. Um, in uh, Jeff Neal, I mean, defends 89.7% of all opponents' takedown attempts in UFC welterweight division history, the third best among active uh, fighters in the weight class behind Kamaru Usman and Bilal Muhammad. Oh, I didn't even know that. Jeff Neal, yes, 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 been in the UFC since 2017. He's held wins over Bilal Muhammad, Mike Perry, Nico Price, Vicente Luque, Santiago Ponzinibbio. And his only losses in the UFC are to Wonderboy Thompson, Neil Magny, and last time out in March, he unfortunately had to fight Shavka Rachmanov, but became the closest fighter to going the distance with Shavka before he was submitted with 43 seconds remaining. But Jeff Neal really showed his heart in that one, and uh, he's got beef. You know, it's weird with Ian Gary. Ian Gary created beef. He put Jeff Neal's mugshot on a t-shirt, basically like tarnished his reputation. But then I've seen him at the press conference. He's trying to be all buddy-buddy with them. Very embarrassing. Uh, just a bad look for Ian Gary. Jeff Neal, though, I don't know if he can get done. He's 33 years old. You know, he's got power in his hands, but I don't know. A lot of Took a lot of damage in that shop cop fight. Let's talk about Ian, the future Gary, one of the most hated men in the sport right now, being controversial as always. Ian Machato Gary, Ian Gary, 26 years old, from Ireland, of his 30 victories, 7 by knockout, 1 by submission. Um, perfect 6-0 in the UFC, a 6-fight UFC winning streak at welterweight is tied with Shavkat, Rachmanov, and Jack Della Maddalena for the longest active streak in the division. Ian Gary lands 56.7% of his significant strike attempts um, in the UFC welterweight division, which is the second highest rate in divisional history behind Gunnar Nelson. He also lands 6.67 significant strikes per minute, um, which is the fourth highest rated in welterweight division history behind Daniel Rodriguez, Jack Maddalena, and uh, Dwayne Ludwig? No idea who that guy is. Yes, Ian Gary been in the UFC since 2021. Debuted at Madison Square Garden. Knocked out Jordan Williams with a second left in round one. Followed up with decision wins over Darian Weeks and Gabe Green. And then had a huge 2023. Had a huge comeback win over Son Kinan at 285. Uh, knocked out Daniel Rodriguez in front of a Charlotte crowd in May. And then brutalized Neil Magny in April at UFC 292. And I mean, Ian Gary... Talk of the town right now. He knows how to get people talking about him. Whether you like him or not, you got to give it to him. He is a talented, talented fighter. Now, I am a little torn in if we're going to see him finish in this one. I know how uh, durable the chin is of Jeff Neal yet to be knocked out in his professional career. So I will give this one to Ian Gary. I think his range, his kicking, I just think his overall skills are better than Jeff Neal's. But I'm going to give him a decision. Another dominant decision for Ian Gary, but uh, I would not be surprised if he gets a finish. I, I honestly wouldn't, but Ian Gary, I'm going to be picking you. I'm not really the biggest fan of him after seeing all of his antics this past week, but you know what? I'm not going to discredit the guy. He's talented, he's undefeated, and he's hunting that welterweight championship. 
Let's get into our co-main event of the evening, and this one is absolutely amazing. So happy we're getting this as Robert the Reaper Whitaker, the number three ranked men's welterweight, middleweight, sorry, in the world, takes on Paulo the Eraser Costa, who's currently ranked number six in the middleweight division. Robert Whitaker, 25-7 and seven professional record. Paulo Costa, 14-2. and 6'1 to 6 foot gives Paulo an inch in height. 73 inches in reach to 72 gives Robert Whitaker one inch in reach. Orthodox stance for both of these gentlemen. Robert Whitaker, let's kick it off with the Reaper. I mean, 33 years old from Australia. Of his 25 victories, 9 by knockout, 5 by sub. And oh man, so much to talk about. He is actually the only New Zealand-born fighter in uh, history to win a UFC championship. Now, uh, he does live and train in Australia, but, you know, New, New Zealand-born, that whole area, I kind of group as one. He's one of 14 undisputed middleweight champions in UFC history, and his record is 12-3 and since he moved up to the UFC middleweight division from the welterweight division in November of 2014. Robert Waker's eight fight night bonuses in the UFC middleweight division are tied for second most behind Anderson Silva, who had 12 in the men's middleweight division. Very, very fun. Robert Waker, last time out in July, got knocked out by Driscus Duplessis in shocking fashion. Um, before that, in 2022, lost a close decision to Israel Asanya, convincingly beat Marvin Vittori. I mean, Robert Whitaker, an absolute legend, been in the UFC since 2012, um, fought a who's who of guys. He's finished Derek Brunson, Jacques Ray Soja. He's beaten Joe Romero in back-to-back -back fights, beaten Darren Till, beaten Jerry Kanier, beaten Calvin Gaslam. I mean, Robert Whitaker has just about beat them all. Super talented, such a great fighter. And also, he should be the favorite for this fight as he takes on Paulo the Eraser Costa, who is 32 years old from Brazil. Of his 14 victories, 11 by knockout, 1 by sub. He was supposed to fight Hamza Chimaev in October at UFC 294, but had to pull out that fight. And he has had so many canceled fights. I mean, who hasn't Paulo Costa been signed to fight? Ikram Al-Kasarov at some point. I think he was supposed to fight uh, Jared Cannonier. He's supposed to fight Howard Wicker in the past. I mean, oh my gosh. The number of times Paul Costa's pulled out of a fight. This guy has no children. He has amazing pullout game for uh, fights. But, um, you know what? Don't, let's not discredit him. I mean, has four UFC knockout victories. Only losses are to Marvin Vittori and Israel Asanya. Beat Luke Rockhold in 2022, though, in August. So it's been a while since we've seen Paulo Costa. Might look a bit rusty in the UFC so far. He actually doesn't hold a current win over any fighter currently in the UFC. All signs are telling me Robert Whitaker, but I don't know, boys. Something's telling me Paulo Costa. Something about Paulo Costa is telling me, you know what, all the signs say Robert Whitaker, but you should go with Paulo Costa. I don't really care who wins. I honestly don't. Uh, both guys, I feel, should be fighting lower-ranked guys. I want to see some new up-and-comers in the division. But, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Paulo Costa has earned 12 of his 14 career victories by stoppage, 11 of those by knockout. He has earned his past two victories by decision after he had previously won his last 12 by stoppage. He's only the only middleweight in UFC history to begin his octagon with four consecutive knockout wins. And he actually lands uh, 6.49 significant strikes per minute, the highest rate in middleweight divisional history. He lands 59.4% of his significant strike attempts in UFC middleweight division, the third best rate in divisional history behind Anthony Hernandez and Phil Hawes. Huh. Fascinating stats there. Isn't going to detour me from uh, who I'm going to uh, choose, which is the man we just talked about, Paulo Costa. I'm going to give Paulo Costa a decision victory over Robert Whitaker. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel Robert Whitaker, his time may be coming to an end. Paulo Costa... 
Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's 50-50. You don't know what you're getting. I just got knocked out badly. Uh, podcast hasn't fought in over a year. Uh, anything can happen. Anything can happen. And anything will happen. But as for this fight, I cannot say who will win. But I, will, I am going to pick Paul Costa. I am going to pick Paul Costa. I expect a close decision. I hope it's the fight of the night. I'm predicting this to be the fight of the night. All right, Robert Gregor versus Paul Costa. I'm going to put this on the notes. Fight of the night. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we get into our main event of the evening. The UFC featherweight title is on the line as your number three ranked men's pound-for-pound champion and your current featherweight champion, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, takes on the number three ranked men's featherweight contender, Ia El Matador Topura. This is going to be amazing. I'm so happy we get to see this fight. Let's get into it all. Alexander Volkanovsky, 26-3 professional record. Ia Topura, 14-0. 5-7-5-6 gives Ia 1 inch in height. 71 inches to 69 gives Volk 2 inches in reach. Both fighters stand in the orthodox position. Let's start off with our challenger, Ia Topura, 27 years old from Spain. Of his 14 victories, he's gotten 4 by knockout and 8 by submission. Um, and he never even had an amateur fight, by the way, all right? This guy went straight to the pro leagues, and he actually got his first, um, seven wins by submission. I've seen all of his finishes, and they've all been beautiful. Um, Tapira's, uh, five-fight UFC winning streak at featherweight is tied for the third longest active streak in the division behind the man himself, Volkanovsky, and Mozafar Evlov. Tapira was awarded one of four 50-42 scorecards in history at UFC on ABC5 when he beat Josh Emmett last time out in June. Um, the only other fighters are Max Holloway, Rich Franklin, and Dave Men, who've gotten a 50-42 scorecard, one of the most dominant in UFC history. That means you've gotten three 10-8 rounds, I'm pretty sure, in a fight. Um, Tapira has earned 12 of his 14 career victories by stoppage, 8 of those by a sub, as we said. He defends 67.4% of opponent significant strike attempts, um, which is the highest rate among active fighters in the men's featherweight division. Ia is so talented, so talented. Um, debuted in 2020, uses grappling to beat Yusuf Zalal. That was the first time he's ever gone the distance. Followed that up in December 2020 with a round one knockout. Uh, July of 2021, round one knockout, Ryan Hall. March of 2022, crazy round two knockout, Jai Herbert. December 2022, crazy dominant, just destroyed Bryce Mitchell. Uh, submitted him in round two. And then couldn't put away Josh Emmett, but after looking what Josh Emmett did to Bryce Mitchell, I mean, we see how good Josh Emmett is, and Ia Topura made him look like just an absolute bum out there. Ia Topura, so talented. He's been so cocky in the build-up to this fight. I mean, it's been absolutely crazy. He's talking about how there's going to be a documentary about leading up to this fight. He's been stealing the belt and posing with it. If he loses, he's going to get clowned so hard, but if he wins, oh, he'll become a star. I'm talking Carter McGregor star in Spain. I'm so pumped to see him compete, but this is no easy task. This is no easy task at all for Ian the Meltador Topira, as he will have to face the greatest featherweight of all time, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Oh man, let's talk about him. 35 years old from Australia of his 26 victories, 13 by knockout, 3 by submission, and he's undefeated at Featherweight, 11 and 0. Amazing, amazing Volk. 
Um, he's the only Australian-born UFC champion uh, in history. Of course, um, Israel Asanya was born in uh, Africa. Uh, Volkanovski is one of four fighters in UFC history to make a title defense after losing a championship bout. That group is 4-0, along with Israel Asanya, who lost to Hamblehovich, then defended his belt. Max Holloway, who uh, I can't even recall. Oh, he uh, lost to Justin Gaethje, then beat Frank Yeager. And uh, BJ Penn. Uh, he actually accomplished this feat um, back in July. Uh, Volkanovski can become the first fighter in UFC history to have multiple title defenses after losing multiple championship bouts. Um, his uh, six victories in the UFC featherweight championship uh, bouts he's been in are second most behind Jose Aldo. He is one of four fighters in UFC history to start 12-0 with the promotion. Other uh, three fighters were Anderson Silva, Kamar Usman, and Khabib Nurmagomedov. His 11-fight UFC winning streak at featherweight is the longest active streak in uh, the featherweight division, and his average fight time of 17 minutes and 40 seconds is the longest in the UFC. See featherweight division history. I also wanted to give a quick fun fact um, in regards to uh, Robert Whitaker, who made his UFC debut in December of uh, 2012. Um, at that time, Rob Dovashelli was yet to start training pro uh, pro MMA. Paulo Costa was one and zero in pro MMA. Alexander Volkanovski was one and zero in pro MMA, and Topuria was 15 years old. Just to show you how long some of these guys have been fighting in the UFC. And one quick um. Point that I got for mention to for mention earlier is that Ian Topira's younger brother Alexander Topira, a bantamweight prospect who is five and one, has signed with the UFC and he'll be making his UFC debut this year. So just a little fun fact about the whole Topira gang. Um, but yes, as for Volkanovski, I mean, my my goodness, my goodness, just been the UFC since 2016, been killing it. I've seen every single one of his title fights. I saw him beat Max Holloway by, clearly, okay? I saw him beat Max Holloway by, controversially, and then I saw him destroy Brian Ortega, destroy Chan Sung Jung, and right off the chapter with Max Holloway, absolutely destroying him. I saw him try and become double champ against Islam Makachev and lose a close decision. I saw him destroy Yair at UFC 290, one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time, UFC 290, and then I did see him get knocked out. I was rooting for him, but then did, I then did see him get knocked out in October of 2023. But Volk is back, looking to defend his belt against the hot prospect. Which way will it go? And I'm so sorry, Volk. I absolutely love Volkanovski, but it's the Spaniards' time Ia Topura is just destined. He is destined to become champion. He said it himself. He said it's what's going to happen. He said it's about time someone like me became champion. I don't know if he exactly said that. I might be putting words in his mouth, but I mean... Oh my goodness, what's there not to love? He's got the look, the tattoos, the swagger, the finishing abilities. And I'm predicting a round two knockout for Ito Pure. And I predict that Volk gets a little rattled. I'm giving, I'm giving Robert Whitaker his loss on you their first fight vibes. That's what I'm talking about. Plus, Volk was knocked out bad. You know, he got knocked out with a shin by um or by the foot by the uh, Islam Makhachev back in October. Ate a bunch of follow-up punches. Meanwhile, Ian Topira took no damage. He's yet to take really any damage in any of his UFC fights. He's been an absolute fire. And I'll be riding with the Matador to become the new men's featherweight champion. So yeah, that's those are our picks. Those are our picks. Roman Kopilov, round one knockout over Anthony Hernandez. Ian Gary uh, over uh, Jeff Neal by decision. Marab over Henry Cejudo by decision. Paulo Costa over Rar Wicker in a fight of the night by split decision. And Ieto Pura becoming the new champion. And maybe even sending Volk packing for good with a vicious round two knockout. Ooh, I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. He might even submit Volk. We forget that Topura has submission abilities. I mean... 
He's got more subs than he does KOs, for goodness sake. But, um, yeah, going to be a fun, fun card. And that went way longer than I intended. I uh, That took us a, almost an hour to talk about this whole card. But I guess I kind of did drag it out. I had a bunch of fun facts about all the fighters. I just enjoyed talking about them all. And I'm super, super pumped for this card. I like my picks. I'm kind of all over the place. Um, it's going to be gonna be super, super fun. Prelims kick off at 5.30. The early prelims, that is. Regular prelims kick off at 7. Main card at 9. Those are all central times for Minnesota. Eastern coast is an hour ahead. Western coast, what is that, two hours? I think it's only an hour behind, actually, on the California coast. But yes, that will uh, that will conclude this episode of the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'll, uh, I'll be rooting for a lot of these guys. It's going to be fun. going to be a good weekend. I can already tell. I'll be celebrating my Valentine's Day with my girlfriend. Uh, got, got to get a shamrock shake after we were talking about St. Patrick's Day earlier. I mean, call the parents. Talk about all the holidays. It was just super fun. Make me think, you know what? Got to give the mother and father a good old call. Um, but yes, ladies and gentlemen, I will see you next week. And we will see how my predictions turned out. We'll find new stuff to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. No, I appreciate it. I see the listeners on YouTube. I see the listeners on Spotify, Apple Music, and I just appreciate it. You know, if uh, I, I was trying to think of what what was the saying, um, this it was talking about like a movie, a, a star or something. It's like uh, if uh, if who can I use it as an example? If Travis Scott has a hundred fans, I'm one of them. If Travis Scott has one fan, it's me. If Travis Scott has no fans, I'm dead. And that's just who I feel you guys are. You know, if you're listening to me, I appreciate it already. I'll start yambling on about nonsense. I will catch you all next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.